is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. I've got to say, after missing a week of the podcast last week, I have been just ready to roll today uh, because I feel like I didn't get my fix last week. There's so much to talk about. I was in Dallas at Big 12 Media Days getting ready for the college football season. Will Brewer was in Las Vegas watching Summer League Hoops, so we were all over the map, Will. Didn't have the opportunity, especially with the early fight card last week, to... uh, to get one in before the, the fight card actually arrived on Saturday. But uh, here we are, resetting. We've got a couple of cards to look back on, a card to look forward on, a ton of news in the UFC world. How are you, my friend? It's good to see your face. Yeah, man, good to see you, man. Uh, last week was a whirlwind. Uh, it was a, a mixture of vacation and a little bit of work. So uh, it, it was very uh, – I enjoyed it very much, but I'm definitely glad that we are back Um uh, and uh, here to take some UFC action in, man, I, I tell you, man, uh, that UFC card last week, I know we'll get into it, but it was such a struggle because right when my flight was set to take off, the main card was going to start. And <laughs> I was so pissed that the one time that uh, I, normally I'm, I'm always good with whenever the UFC starts. But this one time my flight takes off right when the main card starts, right when Misha Tate's making her walk to the to the octagon, I was like, damn, I'm going to have to miss it. So I missed the entire main card, had to watch it on the back end, but still, yeah. uh, glad to be back, man. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, man, these early fight cards, I, I want no part of it. No part of Sunlight UFC. It need, The sun needs to be down <laughs> for like three hours before they, that should just be the rule. The sun needs to be down for at least three hours before you start a fight card. And wherever you're hosting that city, right? Like, it... That's just the rule. I, I don't like uh, having to wake up and eat a breakfast burrito while simultaneously <laughs> watch somebody get their ass kicked, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, at first I was kind of like, uh, you know, I'm good with, with whenever. But see, now for the second week in a row, we've got early. I know. We've got an early start time. And then one of my best friends in the world is having his baby shower right as the prelim starting. I'm like, ah, oh, come on, man. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss his baby shower, but I'm just like I I, I might have thought about it, you know I might I might have thought of you know maybe I'll miss yeah. this one, but no nah, I can't I can't do that to him. So, but I'm like come on, now, of course the second week in a row early uh, yeah. UFC card like I'm I'm ready for the night shit now. Let's get back to 9 p.m. I'm ready for that. I've never been to a baby shower by the way. Um, never? Never. Like I, I like I went to mine obviously, but right. like I've never been to somebody else's because when all of my friends were having kids. Like, it wasn't really, like, their wives did girl baby showers. Like, it, you know, they would, like, invite all their friends. It was just, like, a female thing only. Like, the dudes never went to them. And it's so funny that I feel like it's become a recent thing where it's kind of become, like, everybody shows up to baby showers. But, yeah, like, all of my friends' kids, the baby showers were, like, you know, for the 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 mom, the expecting mother, and all of her friends. And then, like, you know, the like, the guy's family, like, the women in the guy's family might show up. But, yeah, never... Never been to one. Is this is this like? Are you trying to give me a way out? Like, is this what this is here? Because I, I mean, I, look, I feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I might, I'm, I might roll with that because yeah. you know my girl's really good friends with you know, with his wife and everything. Right. So you know, uh, you know, we might have to roll with that. But still, you know, that's one that's one of my best friends. I'm sure I'm gonna end up having to go anyway. So I'll I'll, I'll take this L. Yeah. But you know, I can't take me anymore because this is a fantastic card we got coming up on Great Saturday. Card. And last week's card was fantastic. And I'm just like, ah, I really don't want to miss this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had uh, like literally I'd never even heard of a guy going to a baby shower until like a few years ago. <laughs> and I was like, what? That That's a thing. And look, maybe maybe I'm the exception and not the rule. But in the little small bubble that I exist in, at least uh, that had never happened where guys were even like invited to baby showers. So 
There you go. I don't know. Well, this is my friend's third kid. Uh, oh. Third, third, third girl. <laughs> you don't need to third, go to that, dude. It's the third, third kid. <laughs> and I've been to both of them and going to the last one. I mean, you you're, have a you're pass, right. man. You have a pass. I, I should I should have a pass, but he knows what I mean, he's getting into. I, like that kid's gonna get a bunch of hand me down stuff anyway. Like you're good. I was actually uh, going to be like, you know, even though I've never had any experience with that, if it's your best friend and, you know, it's like child number one, that's a very, but it's number three. It's not even number two. It's number three. Like at this point, it's just like, okay, we've got another one on the way and it's Tuesday. Let's, you know, continue on with life. That's yeah. Hey, I, 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 I might throw that out there, man. Cause you know, this card, like if this was possibly uh, UFC 270, you know, I might not complain about it as much, but you yeah. know, this is a even though it's a fight night. This is a really really good card. Like from top to bottom, it's pretty solid. Listen to me. If this thing is even halfway as good as the last London card, you're gonna be really upset that you missed it. And there's time. probably there's probably going to be you know me sitting on the side with the phone on and you know trying to avoid as many conversations yeah. as I can, watching the <laughs> watching yeah. the card. Might have an AirPod in while. Uh, trying to you know watch the the baby shower games and stuff, but right. you know we'll see what happens. We'll see how I can yeah. how I do. She's opening a gift. It's a nice little onesie, and you're in the corner yelling "ground and pound," yeah, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. And everyone's just staring at me, and I'm yeah. like, "Oh, yeah, I can do." Sorry, it. My, my 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 bad. Just got a little excited. By the way, <laughs> are you going to be in the octagon soon? What's the what's the debut date for Will Brewer? Ah, oh, no, no. Hey, look, we I feel like we uh we talk about UFC. Uh, MMA, I watch it so much. Yeah. Like I kind of, I wanted to know like a little bit of what they go through, and this was like um, when we had that big ice storm. It was like right the week after that. Um, I I go to ATT because I remember we were talking about the gyms uh, here yeah. in OKC, and I was telling you about the gym that was right by uh, right by my job. So I was like, you know, uh, I'm just gonna go see, you know, you know what it's about. So you know, I walk in, I ask for. Uh, like I wanted to do kickboxing because you know out of all the skills, the thing that I felt like I'd be best at was kickboxing. So, uh, but they said, well, we have like a Muay Thai class, and I was like, okay, uh, well, Muay Thai is close enough yeah. to kickboxing, so I was like, all right, I'll do Muay Thai. And I, I'm expecting like, um, you know, I don't really know who's like anybody that's in the gym or anything. So uh, I'm uh, waiting to see who the instructor is going to be. And in in this uh, this lady walks in, uh, tatted up. You know, she looks like uh, she, she's cut up. I can tell right away that she's a fighter. Yeah. Uh, but I have I don't know who, who the fighter is. I don't know if she's like famous or, or whatever the case is. So anyway, the, it starts. And at this time, like I was the only person that was in this class. So this ended up being like a one on one uh, striking class, uh, uh, Muay Thai class. So I'm I'm learning all these combinations. I'm throwing knees. I'm throwing kicks, and uh, you know I actually feel like I, I did pretty well, you know, because a lot of a lot of my knees and kicks and hits and stuff. She was like, "Oh, you know, okay, you know, are you sure this is your first class?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But I watch I so, watch it every week, so yeah. Yeah, I watch it every week. You know, I was channeling my inner surreal gun, you know, <laughs> my inner Valentina Shevchenko. So, uh, yeah. So you know, the class the class goes well, and. Uh, you know, I afterwards I asked her. Uh, I actually asked her what her name was because you know I, I didn't know who it was. So I was like, I was like, oh, what's your name? She said my name is Emily. She didn't give me her last name, so she just said my name is Emily. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know, um, I had a really good time. Uh, I'm sure I'll be back. Uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to go back since, but 
So I, I do some more research on the gym. <laughs> and I come to find out that the person who was instructing me to uh, do Muay Thai just happened to be the Invicta strawweight champion, Emily Dakota. And I'm like, wow, I was literally just in here with the, with the, with the champion. And I had the audacity to ask her what her name was. Like, I'm right. like, oh, my gosh. So uh, she had – and this was, like, maybe a couple of months removed from when she uh, won the title and she knocked out uh, Danielle Taylor. And I don't know if you saw that viral. Like, I'm sure you have. But it was a, it was a punch that she landed, and then Danielle Taylor just, like, froze, and then she, she finished her off with a head kick, and it was devastating. Yeah. You don't see many um, women uh, many women striking like that. Big like, time it was, highlight. Yeah, yeah, big time highlight, lethal, just devastating. So uh, her first title defense uh, she had, it was probably like a, a, two, a couple of months ago, successfully defends her title. And then come to find out uh, Jessica Penne's opponent, original opponent, uh, original opponent uh, pulled out and Emily got the call. So she was on uh, the uh, Long Island card. Last Saturday, and, and, yeah. And, uh, on this past Saturday, and in my head, I'm just like, Wow. <laughs> I literally just had yeah. uh, a striking, uh, a Muay Thai class with her, and uh, she's about to make her UFC debut. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want to get into the fight yet, but, I mean, she passed with flying colors. She did oh, amazing. Oh, she looked phenomenal, man. I mean, against a, a very experienced former title challenger, right? Jessica Penney. Yeah. I mean, Emily Ducote, training out of OKC, uh, passed with flying colors. I mean, the, the sky is the limit, right? I mean, we have a, a legitimate... Um, I don't want to say contender yet, but like somebody to keep an eye on that is going to be in that conversation. I feel like very, very shortly if things go the right direction. Oh yeah, like we've seen uh people make their debuts like off the contender series. Uh, like uh Kareem Silva looked great, but when I saw how Emily looked, she looked very composed. She looked like she had been there before. She didn't overextend herself. You know, it kind of felt like it kind of felt like she was sparring in a way. Yeah. Like she didn't. She just like did what she had to do. I really felt like she could have knocked Jessica Penne out. Like the way she fights it in Victor, I felt like she she fought probably half as she probably did half as much as she would do in Invicta in the UFC. I feel like she just did enough to get the win. It was her first time, so she just chopped at the leg. And even just those those quick uh, calf kicks, yeah. like as those added up, you could tell you could see the the, the redness on Jessica Penne, and she just kept going to it. it you know, she it seemed like she was very composed. You can tell she's a champion, and she fought so well. She she was at a size disadvantage, I mean height disadvantage, but it didn't even seem like it was much of an issue. She she defended the takedowns really well, and she was just chopping at that leg, and it, it was very very good to see. Uh, she her stance, she's got the Muay Thai stance like Valentina, and it it, it makes it makes people really uh, hesitate to really go in go in and try to get her. Uh, Jessica Panay, she did all she could to try to get the takedown. But Emily wasn't letting it happen, man. She looked great for her debut. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and look, that's a strawweight division where, uh, you know, to see anybody that has that kind of uh, that kind of striking and power in terms of her highlight ability and just what we saw against Jessica Panay, I mean, I could see her absolutely skyrocket through that division. And to your point, I think she could have got the finish, but, I mean, you're, you're talking about a big step up in level of competition, right, against somebody that is incredibly experienced, and she's dominating the fight. Like, there was... I never really felt like there, there there was the need for her to push it more than she was, although I did feel like you, if she did kind of put her foot on the gas, she might have been able to put it away. But she she controlled that fight from start to finish. She was up by such a large margin and just continued to give punishment that 
I thought, you know, this is a dominant win, and uh, and good for her, man. Uh, that was a great way to start that fight card. Uh, she is uh, obviously somebody to keep an eye on, and certainly with uh, the added bonus of her being your your uh, individual trainer, uh, you know, it makes yeah. uh, it makes it even more fun for us to keep an eye on her. I'm definitely uh, gonna try to get back in there for some uh, for some more Thai sessions or some, some kickboxing sessions for sure. Because yeah, I mean, if I if I can just get like 10 percent of what of what she has, I mean, goodness, I'll be unstoppable. Absolutely. I mean, I think I'm unstoppable on the court. I mean, I'll be unstoppable <laughs> in the streets as well. So shit. <laughs> drop a three but, in somebody's I mean, face it, and then drop them, right? Exactly, yeah. man. I, I know this is way off topic, but have you been seeing these referees in these uh, in these leagues and stuff just like go after these fans or have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. Like this this man, the referee that sucker this, punched this referee, the guy and knocked him out cold, locked him locked him out cold. Like that was legit crazy. So with that with that being said, I I, I feel like I should definitely uh, have some extra yeah. uh, some extra skills. You know, the hands can only do so much. So, you know, you gotta, yeah. you're going to have to use your feet at times, too, with the way these uh, these people are fighting nowadays. For those that don't know what we're talking about, there's a video online where uh, basically, so, I don't know if it was a coach or a parent, confronts a referee. They get into an, a, a situation. Uh, I don't remember the exact, like, order of events in terms of how it escalated. But it escalated to a physical altercation. So a bunch of people run onto the court, some to try and, like, split everybody up, some to kind of, like, jump in. And some random, I assume, like, dad of a kid, right? Because this is a, like, little kid's basketball league. This yeah, dad of a yeah. little kid runs on the floor, and he's trying to play peacekeeper. Like, he's not he's not instigating, or at least it doesn't appear to me as though he's instigating. It looks like he's clearly trying to, like, split things up and calm things down. And out of nowhere, one of the referees just sucker punches him. And, I mean, he face plants out cold. Like, body, out. limp, face yeah. down, not moving. It was It was pretty intense, man. Like, it was... It was hardcore. It, uh, it gave me Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson right. vibes. Like the guy is face down That's and right. he is sleeping out, out cold. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with the way that 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 that's happening, I mean, I, I guess I'm gonna yeah. have to uh, not only have like skills on the court, but skills for in case some shit goes down. That's right. But I, I will say this: like, it was really cool because you know you don't normally see like you know you don't normally get to hear fighting out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Know. You know, it was really cool to hear like. Uh, somebody actually fighting out of OKC, so that was that was cool. Speaking of Oklahoma, um, you see Jimmy Flick is coming back. Yes, I did see that. He, I, I felt like his retirement was a little premature. I, I mean, you 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 get the idea. Like he was saying, like uh, he had like a, a a date in mind, like like that he didn't want to fight past. But I felt like he was just kind of entering his, you know, yeah. the best parts of his. Yeah. Career. So I'm I'm glad that he's coming back, man, for sure. Absolutely. So before we get to fight cards, uh, big fight announcements this week, Will. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I guess the one that, that basically broke Twitter was Hamza Chimaev and Nate Diaz being announced for UFC 279. Uh, Nate Diaz has been begging for a fight, and Dana said, okay, here you go. Hands him the savage that is Hamza Chimaev, who, by the way, depending on what sports book you want to look at, Chimaev has opened up anywhere from like minus a thousand to I think I've seen up to like minus thirteen hundred. Will as the favorite against Nate Diaz. I kind of think that that's like warrant like okay. Yeah. You know, like I'm not gonna say like. I, I mean, I, I'll say this: like I, I definitely feel like Hamzat uh, should be around that area of a favorite against Nate because uh, Nate is a lightweight. For one, moving up to 170, Hamzad is a tank of a man who 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 could be going up to 185 at any point. Ragdolls people. I mean, 
I don't really see this going well for Nate Diaz, but I mean, this whole saga, this whole Nate Diaz versus the UFC, this has taken over the sport in a way because I mean, since January or even even back to last year, Nate's been trying to get a fight and we all knew what what it was. It was either resign an extension and you get like a Dustin Poirier or Tony Ferguson or someone who uh, you want. But if you don't sign the extension, the UFC takes the choice out of your hands and you're getting Hamza. I remember I remember we watched Hamza against Lee Jin Leung together. Mm -hmm. And I remember after that fight ended, I saw on Twitter uh, Hamza and Nate Diaz like rumors and stuff. And I'm like, why? Why? Like that fight makes no sense. Like, I I think I even showed it to you. And uh, I don't remember what you said, but like, like off the top of my head, I was like, why? This doesn't make any sense. He just beat a ranked welterweight. Why would he fight Nate Diaz? Nate Diaz just lost to Leon Edwards. Like this fight doesn't make any sense. So you know, now you fast forward and Nate's been tra- Nate's fight trying to fight Dustin. Dustin lost to Charles Oliveira in December. If you remember, they were talking about that fight happening at UFC 270, yeah. which happened, which was in January. Like Nate, like Dustin Poirier was like, "I'm gonna get back in camp. Like this gets me excited. Like I'll fight Nate Diaz. That's fun." And we are. We're in July now, and the fight's taking place in September. Like, this whole saga with Nate Diaz and the UFC has, has lasted for so long, only because the UFC has been trying to get Nate Diaz to sign this extension. But Nate Diaz does not want to come back. Like, he's like, yeah, I am done. done. Let me out. And I think finally the UFC has come to the, to the conclusion, like, he is not about to sign the extension, no matter how much money that we offer him. Because he's been offered... uh. Like outside of Conor McGregor, he's been offered the most money out of any UFC fighter uh, with this with these contract offers, but he does not want it. He wants out. He wants to go box. So finally, the UFC is like, okay, we're not gonna get this guy to sign, but if we're if you're gonna leave, we're gonna give you who we want to give you, and we're and you're gonna fight Hamza Shemaev. Uh, I I can't believe that this fight is actually happening. I I have like very low interest in this fight but i'll watch it of course yeah. but I, I i i think it's inevitable what's, of what's going to happen it's going to be a mauling i mean it is going to be a a path of destruction where hamza chamayev absolutely annihilates nate diaz and this is the ufc basically saying if you don't want to fight under our logo we're going to give you the worst possible matchup in this division that you could possibly get and we're going to send you out in the worst possible way right like i mean uh, wow. Uh, this is one that's been rumored for a long time. I, you know, I thought that there was a chance it could happen simply because I, I think the UFC understands the star they have on their hands and Nate Diaz, they're not just going to give Nate Diaz to anybody, right? They're only going to give Nate Diaz to somebody they really want to, um, capitalize off of Nate Diaz's name. And I think Hamzad's that guy. So, uh, it, you know, I felt like the Poirier fight was still the better way to go. Uh, that still benefits everybody, I think in a much better way. But uh, if they're not going, I mean, they clearly just absolutely refuse to make the Poirier Nate Diaz fight. Uh, yeah, if Nate's not coming back, I mean, I guess you just give Hamzat that much more star power. And uh, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, I, I don't know how many people like look at this matchup and just think Hamzat's going to completely destroy Nate Diaz. There's probably a bunch of people that think the opposite, right? Because they're such big Nate Diaz fans. Uh, but those people, when they watch what they're going to watch, are going to be shocked at the, I think, uh, just ease maybe in which uh, Hamzat controls Nate Diaz yeah I've seen many uh scenarios uh like on Twitter of how people think this fight's gonna go uh I've seen you know 
people say like Nate's gonna tire him out, and by the championship rounds, Nate's gonna get a submission. Like that's the that's like the best case scenario. Like that's like you. Yeah. That's kind of like a miracle in a way. Right. But like being a realist, how I see this fight going, I know Nate Diaz is really tough to finish. But with the way that Hamzat ragdolls people and takes their back and 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 all that, like I sure. I know the Gilbert Burns fight was what it was. Hamza didn't fight uh, to what we're normally used to, but Gilbert Burns proved that he's a very high-level guy. Nate Diaz, I mean, I know he's the, one of the biggest superstars the UFC's ever seen. Absolutely. But, but in terms of being a championship-level guy, like, he's not really that. Like, sure, way back in 2012, Nate Diaz fought for the lightweight title. Lightweight title, like he didn't fight. He's never fought for the welterweight title. Uh, he's fought Conor McGregor in a welterweight, uh, two, two welterweight fights, which built his star power. But outside of that, like Nate Diaz at welterweight w- was never anything successful. Like, just look back to when he fought Roy McDonald, and that was a a, a mauling. Like, I, I, that's how I see this yeah. fight going in a much more devastating way. Hamzat is way more devastating, way stronger, way bigger than Roy was, and Nate Diaz is still the same sized man. So yeah. I, I just don't see how this fight goes well for Nate at all. I don't either. But uh, Hamzat Shemaev capitalizes in a big way. I mean, I guess the only question is, uh, is Hamzat just going to try to do this highlight style and do nothing but stand and trade, right? Even then, I like his chances, but because I think there's a giant power discrepancy. Uh, but, you know, Nate Diaz is a tough dude and can endure a lot of punishment, and maybe that's the path. But uh, I just I have a hard time believing that that it goes in in his direction. But look, they they fight for a reason, right? Because anything is possible, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that one uh, that one about broke Twitter. And uh, by the way, I know I sent you the quote um, from Hamza Chimaev uh, in the wake of that being announced. But the quote, "I'm going to handle Nate Diaz's funeral with the UFC." That's the quote from yeah. Hamza Chimaev. So that that tells me that he's that he's back because. Yeah. Uh, I think with the, with the whole Gilbert thing and you know the whole Darren Till bromance and stuff, I kind of felt like his uh, mystique and yeah. uh, I felt like maybe some of the dog might have left him. But I, I think with that quote, uh, like he's he's the hired gun, you know, yeah. he's the guy that's supposed to take out Nate Diaz. This is this is straight out of WWE's playbook, man. Like this is like if if there was ever a WWE type story, like the guy who's having contract disputes is supposed to go in uh, to this fight against the hired gun and lose. Uh, this is definitely straight yeah. out of WWE, but. Yeah, uh, I can't wait for this fight. I just at, there is such a big part of me that really wants to see what would happen if Nate Diaz won. I mean, I would never put any amount of money on it, but I really want to know what would happen if Nate Diaz won. That would be one of the most incredible things in UFC history. He would give Dana the middle finger in the middle of the octagon, drop a bunch of F-bombs, and walk out of there and never speak to the UFC again. That's what would happen. And that would be incredible. And the yeah. UFC would bet. And the UFC would beg to have him back. Oh yeah, even he just did all that. He w- yeah, <laughs> he would turn down all the money in the world. I fully believe that because like, there's a point where you cross a threshold where him being authentic outweighs anything else. And I think he would stick to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And this this whole thing, this whole Nate Diaz contract thing, I feel like this whole thing started with Francis because Francis was this close to not resigning and. We didn't realize the type of domino effect that it would have. And the UFC did a good job of like locking down Izzy and locking down Masvidal. But Nate Diaz, I feel like, is that is the one guy who's like who saw what Francis did and was like, man, like he like I, you really could make a whole shit ton of money outside of the UFC 
Like he, Ned Diaz is a big enough star. If he fight, if he boxes outside of the UFC, it's gonna be fun. Uh, these are winnable fights for him, and he's gonna make a shit ton of money. Why not? Yeah. Why would Nate Diaz want to turn that down? So, if I'm the UFC, you gotta understand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had fight announcements for UFC 280 as well, which will be headlined by Charles Oliveira and Islam Mahashev. Aljamain Sterling will defend his belt against TJ Dillashaw. Bilal Sean Brady, which we already talked about, I believe, is on this fight card. And announced today, in fact, Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley on UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi. Will, I don't know uh, if it's possible, but you got to find a way to get to Abu Dhabi. Holy cow, this fight card is insane. Yeah, just, just by those four fights, man. And it, this all just kind of happened like this card just kind of came together in a real quick manner. I mean, of course, uh, I think the uh, Oliveira and Makashev fight was just announced last Saturday. Yeah. And then TJ and uh, Aljo was announced the day that Nate and Hamzat was announced. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Bilal and Sean Brady has, had been on there for a while, which you told me that it was going to happen. You told me Bilal wasn't going to get any of those top five guys. And I'm like, why would he fight lower? It didn't make any sense. But you were like, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. And, and sure enough, uh, Bilal's fighting down, fighting against the undefeated Sean Brady. Uh, but I was very surprised to see that uh, Peter Yan was going to fight Sean O'Malley because, you know, we I, we knew that Peter Yan was going to fight on this card in Abu Dhabi. But for it to be Sean O'Malley, it's very surprising. O'Malley's coming off that fight with with uh, Pedro Munoz with, you know, the disqual- not disqualification, but the, the no contest and everything. You would have expected them to run it back. And even then, like, Pedro's ranked nine ten you know kind of down in yeah. the rankings peter yan's number the number one contender <laughs> so um i i think now you know there's no more building sean o'malley up slow like it's you know it, it, we're, we're here now we're, we're at the top of the food chain it's put up or shut up we know what, what are you going to do uh i'm very intrigued by the matchup i'm very intrigued by the styles i mean just the movement the length of sean o'malley against the the, the pressure the accuracy of of peter yan the boxing I mean, this fight's going to be crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, the defense. Uh, I can't wait for that one, man. That one's going to be very intriguing to see. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you have seen the odds, but I am very, very curious to see what the odds are uh, of that fight. I, I, I haven't wonder- seen any official odds come out like or like any you know sports books release anything yet, but I saw several guesses on social media uh, ranging anywhere from Yawn at minus 300 to minus 400. Which is that I feel like is too much. Do you? Yeah, I, I do. Mean, I kind of, I kind of feel like minus two fifty, minus three hundred is kind of what I would guess. Three hundred is a little too much for me, but for the simple fact that Sean, when we the last time we saw Sean O'Malley really fight someone of of championship caliber, I mean, we didn't know that Cheeto Vera was a, was a championship yeah. caliber guy at the time. Like we knew he had potential, but now he's starting to put it all together. He finished Sean O'Malley. I mean, let's call it what it was. He he did finish him. And, you know, the whole thing with Pedro. I mean, Pedro kind of won the first round against Sean O'Malley. Round, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, sure, uh, who did he beat? Like, he's he's beaten Pavia and uh, Thomas Almeida. Uh, Chris Moutinho. Eddie Wineland. And, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, can't forget about Chris Moutinho. I mean, uh, he's he's won those fights that he should win. Right. But this is a big step in competition. So I, that's why I kind of feel yeah. like the, you know, the minus 250, minus 300 is kind of where I would guess. Styles make fights. Both of these that's guys true. are going to want to box. Yeah. Like, I mean, Pewter Yon's not going to try and do anything else against... Like, the, this is going to be basically a dirty boxing match. 
It's going to both of the styles play into both of these guys' strengths, and we're going to find out which guy's better at it, right? Against uh, the opposition. Like, I think that Pewter Yon is probably the most difficult guy that Sean O'Malley could fight in terms of fighting a guy stylistically that allows him to do what he does well. But it's also a much better fight than going against like Marab. Well, I mean, I think there are probably five worse matchups in the top 10 for Sean O'Malley than Pewter Yon simply because there are five other matchups that take him outside of his comfort zone. He might get beat by Yon, but it's not going to be getting beat like because you're on the ground and you're not good at ground game, right? He, he's gonna If he gets beat, it's going to be he just simply got beat by somebody that does what he does only way better. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, th- just looking back to the Corey Sanhagen fight, um, Corey Sanhagen is as good as it gets in this division. And, you know, they had a, a MMA, I, w- I don't want to say masterpiece, but that was like a chess match yeah. to the to the highest degree. We saw some devastating stuff. Um, but Sh- where, where Sean O'Malley kind of has an edge over Corey Sanhagen is, with, is, is the power in his hands. You know, I feel like Corey Sanhagen has a different type of power, like in, in his kicks and his knees. Right. But uh, O'Malley has has the punching power. But, you know, I don't know. Jan's defense, man, it's just so good. He, he's so he's so accurate both ways, offensively and defensively, uh, that I just don't. I, I don't know, man. I, I got to see it. it, it it's going to be intriguing for sure. Uh, Sean O'Malley's gonna have to do a lot of moving. He's gonna have to use his kicks. Uh, but yeah. yeah, this fight's gonna be great, man. I can't wait for this. It's one. gonna be great. And to your point about the Sanhagen fight, I think that that fight carries a lot of weight for me with what we're gonna see in this one. Uh, but you're you're spot on. I mean, Corey's arsenal is way more well-rounded than than O'Malley's. But Sean has the the X factor in terms of one punch knockout power, right? If he lands a big punch. That's a fight ender. Like I, Corey's not really that kind of guy. He can end fights, but it's usually not with a you know a punch. So, uh, I, look, I think Jan's the Jan should be the favorite. Um, as of you know, I, I as of now, Jan would be my pick. But um, O'Malley's going to be in a fight that allows him to play to his strength, and that's why I think weighting that thing at like minus three hundred, minus four hundred to me is a little bit too much. But regardless, that fight card is going to be absolutely sick. And by the way, uh, Mahashev opened up as a minus two fifty favorite, I believe against Charles Oliveira. Man, uh, I get it. But at the same time, I mean, Charles has taken out three top lightweight contenders. Like, I know uh, Islam has looked dominant, but, I mean, he. I really wish that we would have got to see him fight a Benil Darius before no. this because it would have it allowed me to really gauge like how, what, what I really feel is going to happen. There's too many questions for me going into this one, but uh, I think that this should be a lot closer. I mean, minus what'd you say, two fifty? I think yeah, I think it was minus minus two twenty five or minus two fifty that range. Yeah, and oh, I think man. Charles I, was like I, plus one seventy five. I think that should be closer. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, we're talking about the we're talking about the champion, even though he doesn't have the the belt because of you know point five pounds or whatever the case is. Like that, Charles Oliveira is the champion. Yeah, he's having to go to Abu Dhabi. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think. The championship level experience that Charles has gained uh, in the last couple of years is gonna uh, is gonna play to his advantage, but this is a completely different Charles Oliveira than we've seen uh, over the years, man. I- I've been so impressed by what I've seen from Charles Oliveira. I just wonder, like, when Islam gets a hold of him, because Islam is going to get a hold of him. <laughs> like, what what's gonna happen? I mean, Charles is an assassin off his back, though. So I yeah. mean, there's so many questions to be answered. I mean, I- that's a very interesting fight. This is the fight that has to happen. Flip a coin, man. I, I have no idea what I would do. And look, before the Gaethje fight, you and I have said for two years, Islam is a future champ in this in this division. 
it's going to happen. Even if it doesn't happen against Charles Oliveira, at some point, this dude is going to have that belt, I believe. I would have said, no-brainer, easy bet, give me Islam against Charles Oliveira before the Gagey fight. I've now arrived at this point where I feel like I've severely underestimated the power that Charles has on the feet, right? Yeah. He hurt. Yeah. Like, you know, we all kind Earth of thought, punch. like, it was just, it was accuracy against Chandler. And then against Poirier, like, you know, it was, I don't think he got enough credit for, I think, the the amount of damage he did to Poirier leading up to getting Poirier's back, right? And I was guilty of that as well. And then you get to the Gaethje fight, and he drops him immediately, drops him again. Like, it was, like, this dude is dropping all these elite stand-up guys in this division, and then you, you have the flip side of that where none of these dudes want to go to the ground, right? So, like, Charles knows that to the point that if he gets dropped, he's not worried about it because he wants them to fall on top of him because then they're really in trouble, right? That's when he's actually in his element. Um, I have no idea what this, this Charles Oliveira-Islam fight is going to look like. Zero clue. I think there's a really good chance Charles could knock him out, like out of the gate, just land something big and it's over. <laughs> But, like, yeah. if that doesn't happen, I don't know. I have no idea what Islam on top of Charles Oliveira looks like on the ground. Like, I have no idea how that's going to play out. Because part of me says Islam could completely just suffocate him like he normally does. And part of me says Charles is like, yes, this is exact. Yeah. Finally, somebody follows me down to the mat and he submits him, like, 30 seconds later. Like, I have no idea, but I am here for it. This will probably be my most anticipated fight of the year. I can't imagine a better fight for the remainder of 2022. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, look, we all know the, the, the potential that Islam has. Like, I, I truly feel like if Islam is, is standing across the octagon from any other lightweight uh, on, the, on the roster, any other yeah. lightweight, that you know, one through whatever, Islam is, I'm picking Islam. Yeah. But Charles is the one guy out of, out of, out of everyone that offers that stylistic uh, disadvantage, like that ground game. I mean... His jujitsu. He's the the probably the greatest jujitsu player like that we've ever seen. It's either him or Damian Maya, but the way that he's able to finish people and like he's not even finishing people with submissions anymore. Like he's finishing with his hands. So like Charles Oliveira is becoming this well-rounded assassin. This like and he's getting bigger. Like he's it seems like he's just growing into his body. Uh, like on on fight day against Gaethje and uh, and against Poirier, he looked like a tank of a, of a man. He looked like he had so much size over them. Yeah. And you know now with with Islam, I, I feel like again Charles is gonna come out. Uh, he's gonna like he he put on a lot of muscle in between the the Poirier fight and the Gaethje fight. He put on a lot of muscle. I don't feel like that's go that's going anywhere. I feel like he did that knowing that Islam is coming, and he he wants to have like a a, a strong base because. Islam is a is a strong dude, but uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, if he's able to, if Islam is able to get him to the ground, I do feel like Islam is probably gonna be able to maul him for at least a little bit. Yeah. But it's just those those small moments of like relaxing or like just he's gonna have to be mauling him. Right? Leaving. Yeah. He's gonna have to be mauling him the entire time because if there's any opening, any any type of opening, Charles can sink a submission just like that, and then it's over. So, yeah, I mean, that's why this fight is a coin flip yeah. for me as well. Yeah. I mean, coin flip. I have no you idea. don't know what's going to happen. By the way, Damian Maya has 11 UFC submission wins, which is second most in the UFC. Charles Oliveira has the record. Do you know what the number is? 13? 16. Ooh. 16 submission wins. 
Bruh, yeah, 16 submission wins. Stupid. And, he's the all-time, and, and he has the most finishes in UFC history with 19. Yeah, most finishes. Like, this Like this guy is a finisher. Like, this guy rarely goes to, to a decision. Like, he went to a decision with Tony Ferguson, and Charles almost took his arm off of his body and walked out of the octagon with it. Like, you that's know as well as close. I do, everybody in that division not named Tony Ferguson taps out there. I, like, that's the only human being crazy <laughs> enough to, to go through that. <laughs> And you can see and I the say pain that with on his respect face. to like, Tony Ferguson. Like, yeah. yes, like we're trying. Yeah, we we are both respecting him, and like, the, you can see the look on his face. Like he's literally fighting through the pain. Most other people in the world is not fighting through that. They're like, oh no, fuck that. This, this hurts. I'm tapping. Yeah. Like no, Tony just, just I don't know, man. Tony's a different cat. That's right. He's a different cat. He's he's built different than a lot of these guys. But yeah, Charles. Charles. If I think if Islam is in that same position, Islam taps. Probably. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see, man. I, I mean, I, I, like you said, the most anticipated fight of 2022. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's any other fight. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens with the MSG card. I'm sure they'll have some amazing fights. But Islam and Charles, that, that's one of the best high-level fights uh, in lightweight history, in my, yeah. in my mind. And, and the lightweight division has seen some killers, some, some, some great championship fights over the years. But this one uh, is, is high-level for sure. By the way, I've been saving this uh, to talk about at some point on an episode, but I, I felt we're, we're, we're kind of flowing here on Charles Oliveira, so I'll just throw this out now and, and uh, want to hear your thoughts. There's been so much like moving up, moving down, champ champ status stuff throughout the UFC. I mean, almost every division's champion is at some point rumored to maybe go up or down or, you know, go for the champ champ status. I've not ever even heard a single rumor about Charles Oliveira doing that. But I'll tell you this, sign me up for Charles Oliveira Kamaru Usman at welterweight for a title. Sign me up. I am in. Well, I, man, I didn't even think about that, but man, like that's a that's a tough matchup for Usman. That like, is a tough, yes. Like, let's call it what it is. Like, I know Charles is is uh, is going to have a size disadvantage uh, and, and a strength disadvantage, but like what Usman does well, like Charles, like the striking, for instance. Are we really going to say that Usman is a is a better technical striker than Charles Oliveira at this point? Like, I know yeah. Usman's getting better, but like, I don't know. That's a coin <laughs> I mean, flip, I right? Like, like, I feel like that's a coin that's flip. A, that's a coin flip, right? And Usman is a phenomenal wrestler, but like, Usman takes Charles to the ground, like, yeah, exactly. But Charles can take can can wrap some shit up just like that. Like like I said, like it's just a a little area of opportunity, and Charles is going to take that. So. Yeah, man, that is a very interesting fight for sure. Usman and Oliveira, I, I don't know. I kind of don't think Usman would take that. <laughs> I don't think he would either. And, I, like, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I don't know what side I would take if I were picking that fight right now. Like, I would have to think about it long and hard because I think that's a great fight. But literally, bro, like, everybody in the UFC, we talk about, like, you know, what would happen if this guy moved to this division. And we talk about that with all the champs. And for some reason, that's never even – I've never heard a single person bring up Charles Oliveira going to 170 – uh, maybe because Kamaru right now is the pound for pound guy, so it's you know it's maybe more of like nobody even thinks that Kamaru would would welcome that, but uh, I think that would be a hell of a fight. Hell of a fight for sure. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's so many. There's so much movement uh, or just discussions. Like Aljo's talking about it. Volk's uh, obviously talking about it. I think Oliveira. I think there's so many killers in his division for one, and and then like Oliveira is such a. I'm not going to say unlikely champion, but I don't feel like many people thought that we would still be talking about Charles Oliveira as the champion uh, right. up to this point. Like whenever he won it, 
for uh, the vacant title, I'm sure people just thought, oh, Dustin's going to win. Like, even me. I like, I was just thinking, like, Dustin's going to win it. Oh, Gaethje's oh, going to win it. Yeah. But no, like, Charles is just running through all these guys. And, and, and even now, a majority of the world is saying Islam's going to win it. So it's just like... He's still an underdog. Where, like, where is Charles even going to have the opportunity to get enough love to, to be able to move up? So, yeah, man. But that... I think this fight with Islam is going to tell us a lot. Like, if, if he is able to finish Islam like he's been finishing everybody else, I think, like, the next step maybe should be for him to go up to 170 and, and fight for the title. Because if he does that to Islam, yeah. I think he could easily do that to Usman as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't, the, the Charles Oliveira storyline to me in the UFC right now is, is second to none. By the way, I think the ESPYs are stupid as shit. But that said, um, <laughs> I guess he, today he won the uh, Best MMA Fighter ESPY Award. So yes. he, he's at least getting respect uh, somewhere. Yeah, and it's absolutely deserving. Like, I probably couldn't even tell you, like, who else has won an SB. Yeah. Like, I'm, I am I know DC's won an SB because he talks about it a lot. But, uh, yeah, when it, it, I guess best MMA fighter, like they said like on the broadcast, like it was Volk and Oliveira, Usman, and uh, Kayla Harrison were the nominees. Um, I think for the year that Charles had, um, he's definitely uh, deserving absolutely. of that. Uh Volk is close, and Usman, you know, he they did some great things, but the unlikely story of Charles Oliveira, how he was the underdog in most all of these fights, yeah, man, uh, definitely uh, very, very deserving of the of the SP for sure. By the way, we we have uh, officially reached the end of the Ultimate Fighter in terms of episodes. Now all that remains is uh, the actual fights to take place, which I believe are going to happen. The week after uh, Amanda and Juliana face off in Dallas, uh, so we're very close to uh, Zach Pauega and Muhammad Usman fighting, uh, and then uh, Juliana Miller and Brogan Walker in the female division. Which, by the way, the Juliana Miller Brogan Walker fight is going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I think both of these fights are going to be awesome. Um, you know, I'll start with the women's fight. Juliana Miller, man, I, I mean, when when the competition first started, like, I don't even think, like, she was, like, uh, in the, she wasn't a top choice, I don't think. But the way that she fights, like, you could tell she wants this more than anybody else. Yep. Like, like she would rather lose a limb. She might, she might actually, like, choose to die in there. Like, she wants, it means so much to her. And, it, and that's just good to see yeah. because you want to see, that's what you want to see when it comes to this Ultimate Fighter stuff. You want to see somebody who wants it bad enough that they'll go to any lengths to win. Brogan is 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 great. Like we, she's battled through an injury and she's won uh, all these fights. Like you can tell, she is very very skilled. But I, I just question, you know, is her skill is that going to outweigh uh, Juliana's desire, her yeah. will to win? Like uh, I think that's what this fight's going to be about because Juliana proved in both of her fights that she's a dog and she's going to go through any lengths to win. So I'm very intrigued by that fight. That's going to be bananas. I love that fight, man. It's, I think it's going to be a really good one. And to your point, I, I think the reason it's going to be good is because Juliana Miller has that dog in her, which I think, you know, somewhat evens the playing field. Otherwise, I'd probably feel like Brogan uh, would be the favorite. But yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know who I would pick to win. Probably, probably Juliana Miller would be my pick just because she, like you she will go through a wall to get it done. And, you know, she's just going to dig a little bit deeper than most people will to find a way to the finish line. Uh, she's, she's fun to watch, man. Like 
She's kind of a little, little odd, I think, outside the octagon. And, you know, she's like trying to give these motivational speeches when she's like, and she's like quoting My Chemical Romance songs. I'm just like, <laughs> what the hell is happening here? But it, dude, she is, I love watching her fight. She's, she's awesome. She is legit. I think it's those types of, of people, those types of people who, who turn out to be the good fighters because like yeah. you realize like she, she's not exactly right up here. But like when, when you see her fight, like you could be like, oh, it, it all makes sense yeah. now. Um, uh, so and that first girl that she fought, I forget her name, uh, but she was very, very skilled, just like Brogan is, uh, the, the, the redhead, mm -hmm. uh, they, their fight was, that was one of the best ultimate fighter fights that I had ever seen. Yeah. Like they were going back and forth. That was as close as it gets, but it just came down to that last round. Juliana just out willed her. Claire you Guthrie, know, she right? just, that, that, yes, Claire, uh, the, uh, the will, the desire to win like that. Uh, showed itself in that fight and i feel like that's gonna be what we see on display when uh when she fights brogan but i think brogan is has a little bit more skill to offer than than claire did so i think that makes for a very very interesting fight and i think it's just more physically gifted in terms of being an athlete and her build and size and speed and strength right like that's Absolutely. that's also a big advantage i think in her favor on the other side like i like both of the guys right usman and and is it Pauga? Is that how you say it? Um, I believe so, yeah. Pauga or Pauga? I don't know. Anyway, I like both of the guys. Um, either one, like, I, I'll be happy to see win. I do feel like Zach is probably the more well-rounded guy based on the little bit that we've seen uh, throughout the, the tough series. Um, but that's going to be a fun one as well, right? Because you kind of feel like Muhammad Usman just has that, that dynamite that's waiting to explode. Like, you can see it. It hasn't quite turned into that inside the octagon yet. But you can tell that there is a bomb there ready to, to explode. There's that type of, of uh, explosiveness. Yeah, you know, Mo Usman, I mean, I was really impressed because, uh, you know, that fight with the, uh, God, what is the, the big kid's name from Amanda's team that he just beat? Yeah. Um, I thought that he was really good. Like, I felt like he was going to the finals because he had the size and he had the skill as well. And Usman was at a really big size uh, discrepancy. But you could tell uh he's learned a lot from Kamara. He kind of fights just like him yeah. in a way. Like his his stance, you know, all that. Um I I do think like he's really susceptible to leg kicks cuz uh the the last guy was chopping his leg up. I feel like that's something that Zach could use to his advantage. Um but uh in terms of the styles though, man, I feel like Mo, Mo has has some dog in him, but I feel like Zach is just a, a destroyer. He's like a um uh, he, he's he's a he's more devastating than Mo yeah. is. You know, Mo. I feel like I'm not, I'm not completely sure that Mo is going to be a guy that that will get a finish in this fight. I feel like Mo kind of out is is an out pointer. Uh, he'll out point him. But uh, Zach, I feel like he can definitely finish this fight. Uh, but you know, Mo training with Kamaru and training with all the guys that he trains with. Uh, I feel like that experience has helped him a lot in these fights. So I mean, we'll see. Uh, but that's a very intriguing fight as well. All right, so we're going to do some midseason awards. Uh, we can run through these after we review some of the fights uh, that we've missed the last couple weeks. Uh, and we don't have to go through the entire fight cards. So two weeks ago, uh, we were on the same side of every fight except for the main event, which was Rafael Faziv and Rafael Dos Anjos, Battle of the Rafaels. Uh, and uh, Faziv actually called out uh, Rafael Nadal in the aftermath of this, but man, this was a fun, well, we talked about this two weeks ago. This was a fun fight in which we had a lot of questions on both sides of it. Um, you know, RDA, not necessarily having a good gauge of where he is at this point in his career, since dropping back down to 155, 
two really good wins, but against guys that were coming in on short notice and not necessarily at the peak of their game necessarily at the 155 division. Uh, Fazeev obviously is is extremely explosive. I really enjoyed watching this fight. I had Fazeev ahead on the scorecard going into the fifth. I had it 3-1 Fazeev. He gets the finish in the fifth. Uh, so, I, you know, I didn't feel like it was a, it was a split going into the final round. I felt like Fazeev was ahead, but uh, that was irrelevant as Rafael Fazeev gets the, the finish. Yeah, this was a very good fight. I mean, it was uh, definitely <clears throat> it was definitely uh, a showcase of, of Rafael Fazeev. Um, I thought that RDA's experience and his grappling was going to be something that uh, Fazeev would really struggle with, especially get going into the later rounds. I felt like, uh, our, especially with Fazeev coming off COVID and everything and injuries, I felt like you know that would really kind of affect him. But you know, one thing that I didn't I didn't really know um about Fasiv. Like I, I knew like his striking was was outstanding, but I didn't realize just how fast that dude is. Like Rafael Fasiv is extremely fast. And like it got to the point where RDA was like he was late to to block so many of these shots and 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 Fasiv was just landing at such a high clip in, in in those first three rounds. Um I felt like Fasiv won the first three uh and then RDA won the won the fourth. I kind of felt like uh, Fasiv kind of just took that round off yeah, <laughs> in a way because uh, in in the third round you can kind of see like RDA maybe uh, towards the towards the end like towards the last minute and a half has some momentum so like if you wanted to give him that round you could but like this was mostly uh, Fasiv three one going into the fifth and then Fasiv just kind of went out there and just kind of went off on RDA to start that round I mean uh, to to finish RDA like that I mean. We've got a contender on our hands for sure. Because if you do that to to a legend like RDA, uh, you you're definitely yeah. you've definitely got something special. So uh, I'm excited to see what's next for him, man. I thought uh, I I feel like I had a pretty good gauge for Fazeev's speed after we saw him fight Bobby Green because we know how fast Bobby Green is, right? And that was a really fun matchup. Um, I, I anticipated that he was going to have a decisive edge in that way. My question was, you know, if if RDA got a hold of him. What does the defense look like? And his takedown defense against RDA was incredible, right? Like his takedown defense has been good anyway, but I mean, this is RDA, a guy that's on a completely different level than anyone he had faced. And it stood up, right? He was unbelievable in the takedown defense. Uh, and then you add that offensive arsenal. I mean, this guy is, uh, is fun to watch. I don't know what you would like to see next for him. And then I want to get your thoughts on what's next for RDA as well. But um, for Fazeev, if they're not going to book Poirier Chandler, my fight is Fazeev Chandler. Man, um, as much as I like that, I mean, I really, I really think like I know that Poirier and Diaz was kind of on a silver platter, and like the UFC should have booked that. But I feel like Poirier and Michael Chandler is is right there as well. I mean, that whole altercation thing that they had at two seventy six and. And, you know, how there's like a story like I feel like that's the fight that you make with Chandler, yeah. Poirier and Chandler. But his call out, he called out Justin Gaethje. I think that's the fight, man. Like Rafael Vazeev and Justin Gaethje, because there's like no real there's no real like path or like anything going for Gaethje right now. Uh, he's going to have to come back eventually. Who's he going to fight? Yeah. I mean, I know like we've thrown out like it would be great to see Justin Gaethje fight Conor McGregor. Is Conor McGregor really going to fight Justin Gaethje? Who knows? Uh, like, Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje, like, that would be great. But, like, they've been – I feel like they're on two different timelines right now. I feel like Basive and Justin Gaethje, I feel like, you know, they both had, like, no surgery or whatever. Uh, I think that's the fight. 
that would be a, a fantastic striking display. Uh, a great fight for Gaethje to get back on track, and then a great fight for Fasiv to see like if he's uh, going to get into that championship contender uh, type fight. So I think that's the fight. But I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Chandler, like yeah. any of those guys, Chandler, Poirier, Gaethje against Fasiv. Like yeah. those are all fun, exciting matchups. Yeah. My preference would be Chandler, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think if you also are looking at this from a a star power standpoint, and they don't feel like Fasiv is star power worthy yet of maybe one of those guys because all of those three names are massive draws then gamrot's probably the the obvious uh next move and that would be incredibly fun as well but uh, there's no shortage of of great lightweights in that division uh for rda this is an interesting one for me because we know the age you know we know that this was kind of the last opportunity for a title run for him i'm at least willing to to not forgive the loss necessarily but like, the guy's had so much bad luck in terms of just getting fights and training camps and cancellations and having all these different moving parts. Same thing with this one. I mean, so many cancellations. Like, I, I don't necessarily want to see all of a sudden him not have an opportunity to have a name that can put him right back, at least in the conversation, to have a path, right? I don't know what that looks like, but... Yeah, so RDA is it's a, it's an interesting one because, you know... Like you said, like this was kind of like the the last like hurrah for him in in terms of being a champion. Like you could hypothetically say like if you do this this and this, you'll you'll be right back in there. But it's just like what does that look like? Yeah. Who is gonna want to like give RDA that uh, that opportunity? Like no one in the top like the Poiriers, the Gaethjes, the uh, Chandlers. Like after that loss, I don't think they're gonna want to fight RDA. Like. Like there's like a like you like you said there's the, the stars and then like there's these young hungry right. guys who are coming up like who's the guy like RDA was kind of the guy that was like in between both right. like he was like the and that's why the Vasiv that's why the Vasiv and uh, RDA fight just had to happen so like uh, Vasiv kind of passed that bridge so now he's he's up there with the Gaethjes and the Chandlers like these I don't think these guys are gonna fight uh, Gamrod or anything like that I think Benil's in that in that uh, bridge area too. Yeah. And I, I think that he might be the guy that's going to end up having to fight down like a, a Gamrod or something. Absolutely. Because he's not, he's not the name that Chandler and all those guys are. But for Dariush RDA, RDA would be a good fight. Yeah, that would be a great fight. But if I'm, if I'm Dariush, I mean, you, you kind of feel like you're screwed yeah. because you were supposed to fight Islam. You get injured and now Islam's fighting for the title. You, you want to be, fight a guy who's like right there, but Benil doesn't have that name. Yeah. Like you, I think that they were trying to do Benil and Poirier for Abu Dhabi, but Poirier—that's not a fight Poirier is interested in. No, it does, it like, does, I mean, I, I would I love that fight, but it doesn't make sense for Poirier. I think that th exactly. the problem with this division right now is the last three guys that have fought for the title are all still guys that are absolutely contenders, but their star power is so big that there's kind of like this logjam because, like, Michael Chandler's a massive star, bro. Justin Gaethje's a massive star, and Dustin Poirier's a massive star. I think Rafael Fazeev deserves... I mean, if we're just talking about, like, the fight game itself, right? Fazeev deserves an opportunity at one of those guys. I don't... I, with the RDA win, though, I don't... Th I still don't think Fazeev's name is big enough to be on the marquee opposite any one of those three guys if you're looking at this from the UFC lens, right? Like, those three guys are major draws, and I don't feel like they're going to let any one of those three guys fight down in terms of star power at least at this point that's probably to some degree 
why they're stalling on Poirier because they're unsure of what to do, which also goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning of this podcast, why I don't know why it's mind-blowing to me that they didn't get Poirier and Nate Diaz, right? Because those are marquee names opposite each other. But I, I don't think Dariush is going to get one of those guys because his name's not big enough. I don't think Fazeev is going to get one of those guys because I don't think they're going to view his name as big enough. In the same way that I didn't feel like Bilal was going to get one of those premier <laughs> names at welterweight, right? Now, I'm, I'm with you, but I feel like Fazeev is, is on to something here with that, with that win. Uh, I don't know what he's ranked at this point, but Seven. I feel like... Seven. Ooh, that's kind of low. Well, uh, I feel like out, out of everyone, out of the three guy, out of the three guys who are the stars, Chandler, Poirier, and Gaethje, I feel like Gaethje is the is the most likely one to take on a guy who's not a star, yeah. uh, who doesn't have that big of a name. Because we've already seen Gaethje kind of go back. We've seen him main event fight nights when he was on a losing streak. We've seen him fight James Vick in a main event. Like who remembers James Vick? Uh, we've seen him fight. You know, Edson Barbosa when he was kind of ranked lower in the lightweight division and everything. So if it's I think Gaethje out of those three would be the guy that would do it. W will he do it? That's a good question. But I mean, that, this division, it's 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 loaded, man. Like, I feel like Benil's going to have to be the guy who fights a game right. And Gaethje's yeah. one of those three is going to have to fight for Steve. I, I, I definitely feel like one of those three is going to have to fight him. I think it's going to be Gaethje. And I think that leaves Poirier and, and Chandler. So that's that's my guess. But I mean, you've been you've been kicking my ass when it comes to these predictions on these fights. Like you you called Belon, Sean Brady, you've, you've called all these other fights. So you might you might be onto something here. So I might just listen to you. I, look, I would say I, I do think there is a chance that that Fazeev gets a Gaethje, or that like you know maybe like in some weird way like Fazeev lands Chandler, which I, I mentioned. Um, the uh, part of this just depends on which way they go with two of those names, right? Like if they go Dustin and Justin, then I absolutely think Chandler Fazeev is a no brainer. Chandler, I feel like, still has a little bit more room to venture outside than... I mean, Dustin and Justin have had so many fights under their belt in this division. I feel like there's a little bit more wiggle room maybe for Chandler to go after, like, a Fazeev than maybe one of these other guys not wanting to wiggle too much outside of main eventing against somebody that's a big name or getting somebody in their path that puts them right back in, in a title shot scenario. So... Yeah, this is an interesting one that I think we, we're going to kind of have to see which domino falls as far as like what the first matchup becomes before I think we have a really good idea of how it could go. But just make the Dustin uh, Chandler fight already, right? Like, can we do something, please? Uh, but yeah, I, like I, 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 I love this division and, you know, it's to have the three biggest names in the division. Well, four, if you wanted to add Connor, four biggest names in the division, Dustin, Justin, Chandler, and Connor, I mean, those might be four of the top ten draws in the entire sport. Right. And then you have Charles and Islam fighting for the belt in that division. And then you have this load of other incredibly talented guys that, like, that sucks for Benil Dariush right now. Because he's just like in no man's land. Can't get a fight against a premier yeah. guy because his name's not big enough. But clearly has separated himself from everybody below him. Um, right. I'll tell you a fight that makes sense to me in terms of RDA. Sarukian. Yeah, that's actually one that I was thinking about uh, after he lost. Um, you know, you, because you don't want to make Sarukian like go down the totem pole that much because that fight was that good. Right. That fight was that close uh, with Gamera. You want you want him to fight someone that's still ranked, that still gives him an opportunity to move up. And I feel like RDA is is that guy for him. But I I, I wonder if RDA is going to want to take that. Uh, but so when I thought about that, I thought maybe RDA will fight uh, Tony Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, so. 
those are the two that I think that that could possibly be next for uh, for RDA. But you know, it, it's so tough to tell because this division is so loaded. You know, uh, a loss like that when everyone's trying to move up and try to and trying to get to the title, uh, a loss like that is is very damaging. I kind of think that um, there's a point where we might get Dustin Tony. Right, because it makes because it makes sense in terms of the name on the marquee. Yeah, that fight would sell, man. I mean, that fight would sell. Absolutely, I, I, I'm with you on, in terms of the fight, but I'm thinking about like, would Dustin take that fight? Oh yeah, because Tony's on such a losing streak. Like, isn't like it's four in a row that he's lost now, yeah. right? Like, would would Dustin really take that? You think so? I think he would, because it's a big fight. It's a big fight where he'll be a heavy favorite. You get the big fight. You get the star power. You get the money. You get the W. And, and, and it's fun. It's and a fun it style of matchup for yeah. Dustin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've been doing great with your predictions up to this point, so I'm going to rock with you I on think this that one. one's just uh, I, I like the fight an for option sure. maybe down the line if they can't figure out something. But, yeah, the, the, there's just such a weird dynamic because you have those three big names in this division that aren't in the title picture at the moment but are too far above everybody else in the division to just, you know, start matchmaking. So I, I got a, I got a question. Uh, curious to get your take on this. Okay. How much do you think, uh, the, you know, the top of this division outside of the title fight, like we still don't know what's going to, what's happening with Dustin, with Justin and uh, Chandler and everything. How much do you think this halt has to do with uh, Conor McGregor? A ton. A ton. Chandler wants McGregor. Gaethje wants McGregor. Charles obviously wants McGregor. Absolutely. Some people want to see McGregor Dustin again. I mean, I'm not one of them necessarily, but <laughs> I mean, I would watch it, but I, I, there's other fights for both of those guys, I feel like. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a ton of that is, is, I think, the Conor Domino. I think especially in terms of Michael Chandler, because I think Dana really thinks uh, that Chandler is a good matchup for Conor. And uh, because we haven't heard much of anything about Michael Chandler, and I feel like that's because uh, they're saving Chandler for Connor, yeah. which puts Dustin in a in a tough spot. Like I, I think that's why they offered Dustin Benil because you know that kind of leaves Dustin without a dance partner. Justin's uh, recovering from his nose surgery. Dustin's trying to get a fight. Benil's trying to get a fight. So it's kind of natural to kind of pair them together. But, you know, I think Dustin's seeing like, well, Chandler's over here. He doesn't have a fight. Let me fight him. But I think they're trying to hold Chandler out for Connor. Yeah, because they, they want to give Connor a title shot, obviously. Like, yeah. Charles wants Connor. Connor hasn't won in this division since he won the title, for crying out loud. So, like, yeah. it makes all the sense in the world that you give Connor either Gaethje or Chandler. And the winner of that is your next, gets your next title shot, right? It's easy. Yeah. I thought for sure. Uh, I thought that they were going to do Islam and Benil, and I thought that they were going to do Charles and Connor at MSG. I that was too. my prediction. Uh, so I, I was I was a little surprised that they did uh, Charles and Islam, but you know I think at this point they're they're trying to hold out hope for Connor coming back early 2023. So that's why we haven't heard anything uh, in terms of Michael Chandler and uh, Dustin wants to fight uh, these stars. You know the 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 Chandlers and everything. So he's getting screwed because, uh, because of the Nate situation and because they didn't want uh, Chandler to fight. They want Chandler to fight Connor. So Dustin might as well just take the fight with Benil because I don't think it's going to get any better than that for him. Did, uh, did Gilbert Burns get a fight recently? 
Gilbert Burns. No. What about Poirier, Gilbert Burns? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when Poirier was begging for the fight, like Gilbert Burns was the one that said, "Hey, come up to 170. I'll fight you." I mean, I, I'd watch it. I feel like uh, that's a good fight. Uh, Dustin would have to cut any weight. It would be it would be cool to see what Dustin looks like at 170. Yeah. And uh, I think it would kind of re, uh, re-energize Dustin. I, I kind of feel like he's re-energized already. But I think just the change in, in weight class and everything, fighting bigger guys uh, and all that, I think that would be good for him. Yeah. Okay, so UFC Fight Night, Fazeev, RDA. Um, I don't necessarily want to run down this whole card. Uh, there weren't like a bunch of uh, blockbusters necessarily. I mean, a bunch of decisions. There were a few finishes. Um I'll just throw it to you. What stood out to you, if anything, that uh, that you want to mention here before we move on to last week? Uh, so there, there was some pretty decent. I mean, like this was a okay card, but I mean, outside of Fasiv and RDA, uh, that Jamie Malarkey and Michael Johnson fight was outstanding. Really that good. was an incredible. That was an incredible fight. Um, I kind of thought that Michael Johnson won that fight at the end of it, man. Uh, I mean, I know it was razor, razor thin, razor close. Uh, I think we saw just how great Michael Johnson can be and how bad Michael Johnson can be, how inconsistent Michael Johnson is all in the course of one fight. That was Michael fight. Johnson, yeah. That, that's just how Michael Johnson's been. And, it, I mean, it, it just cost him. I mean, I was surprised to, to see how he rebounded from almost getting finished and everything. But, um, man, that was a fantastic fight. I mean, Jamie Malarkey left it all out there. They both did. I thought Michael Johnson did enough to win, but I'm not mad at the decision for Malarkey. But that was a great, great fight for sure. Yeah. Outside of that, this card was just okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Saeed Nurmagomedov had a win, but, I mean, it wasn't uh, so Im- incredibly impressive that, you know, you're all of a sudden, like, calling for a top-ten opponent or something. Uh, Kayo beat Petrosian, uh, but, it, you know, that also wasn't the kind of win that just gets you so much momentum that, that uh, you know, we got to start, like, uh, shouting from the rooftops to get this guy a big matchup. So, um, Fazeev right. carried the day, for sure, in the main event. All right, rewinding to last week's main event, UFC on ABC, Will. This was the only fight we were on the opposite side of. By the way, I had Fazeev. You had RDA, so I got three points off of that, which took the lead down to two for you going into Saturday. You got those three points right back in the Yair Rodriguez-Brian Ortega main event. I had Ortega. You had Yair Rodriguez. I was so geeked for this fight. And damn, man, the, the way that this thing just ended almost as soon as it started. And look, that first round was a lot of fun to the point that it actually did stop. But... Uh, I think we all just kind of felt robbed at, at, you know, Brian Ortega just falling back and uh, knowing immediately. I mean, we all knew the shoulder was done and that was that was the end of the fight. Yeah, it it, it was shaping up to be a pretty interesting fight uh, because, you know, we knew Ortega and his pressure. He's going to be in 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 Yair's face and then the speed of Yair like uh, he was hit. He was hitting Ortega with some great shots, but Ortega just kept pushing forward. So, I mean, that, that was just one round of that. And it was already shaping up to be a very interesting fight. They go to the ground. Ortega was able to get a takedown. And then uh, Yair's throwing up a submission. Like, I, I kind of wasn't expecting that. But, you know, it was, a, it was a surprise. It looked like he kind of had something. And then, you know, Ortega tries to yank his shoulder out. And then it, uh, he pops it out. And, you know, it's just a really unfortunate to see uh, because that was shaping up to be a very interesting fight. But um, I kind of think in a, in a way that this was a good thing. I mean, a good thing for Ortega to lose by by an injury because he can always come back and say, well, that last fight with Yair, you know, my shoulder popped out. Not that I lost or anything. It was just like my shoulder popped out. So he kind of has that to, to fall back on. Instead of like him losing a decision where he got outclassed or getting knocked out, you kind of have that to fall back on like my shoulder popped out. But, you know, I, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, a lot of people are saying like Yair should have got like a, a technical submission or something like that because it was technically 
Dyer's uh, armbar, or uh, yeah, it was an armbar. Yeah. It, it was his armbar that the position that made Ortega pop his shoulder out. So, do you think that Yair should get like a technical submission victory instead of like a, you know, what do you got? I've been kind of torn on this because I've heard a lot of this same discussion and I totally get where those people are coming from because that is a part of it, right? Like, Brian Ortega hurt his shoulder because he was trying to get out of a lock that Yair had him in. Exactly. So, Yair didn't inflict it on Brian Ortega, but it happened because of the lock that Yair had. Where I think I have maybe a different view, like, because Kenny Florian was tweeting about this on Saturday, and I really appreciated, like, reading his thoughts, but he was like, this is a submission finish. Like, the fight ended, this is, this is why I have a hard time, like, going the, down that path. Yair Rodriguez literally said, when the fight finished, I hate that it finished this way, I'm here to rematch this guy anytime he wants, like, this is really unfortunate. Like, that's the guy that had the lock, so, like... If he's saying it that way, which we know fighters always overvalue what they do in, in, inside there, right? Like, you could be losing a round and you think you're winning, right? It's, it's like, wild to me, uh, the perspective. If the guy that won and the guy that had the lock had it to the point that even he didn't think it was necessarily, like, a lock that had Brian Ortega, like, in jeopardy in any way, to the point that he's like, I hate that it finished this way, I want to give him a shot, any, you know, what, whatever, then that's where I kind of back off it. Which, look, you as a judge, you would never know that until you hear it from his mouth afterwards. So I don't know what I would have done in the moment. I have the courtesy of hearing his comments immediately after. But yeah, your Rodriguez literally didn't think that he had Brian Ortega in any trouble at all to the point that he he himself called it like a freak thing. Yeah, you know, I, I've been torn on this, too. Like, I don't really know where I stand. I'm like in the middle uh, seeing both sides because like. The, the injury did happen as a result of the of the lock that Yair had, but it wasn't like Yair was really like, like Yair did it. It was more like Ortega did it to himself. So right. it's just like you see both sides of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's very unfortunate. Brian Ortega lost either way, any way you slice it. Yeah. So um, it's very unfortunate. And, you know, it kind of leaves, you know, there's, there's nothing really definitive about the win. Uh, because there's so much, you know, there's so much discussion about how it finished. So now, you know, what happens right. with the Yair going forward? You know, there, there's he didn't separate himself was, was what I'm trying to say. Right. He didn't separate himself from the pack. There, there's still like a, a log jam there at the top in terms of uh, of a title shot. But he did get the win. So yeah. he will get a big fight next. But it's just unfortunate that this happened. Like, I guess here's the here's the simplest way I could I could put it. If I felt like Brian Ortega was trying to get his arm out and pulling that way because he was in trouble, then I would probably call it a submission. I don't think Brian Ortega was trying to get his arm out because he felt like he was in trouble or in danger or that arm was going to get torn up, right? He was pulling it out so he could try to attack. Like, it's a completely different scenario, in my opinion. Um, and again, Yair kind of echoed the same thing. Like, he, ha he had the arm wrapped, but, like, it wasn't an offensive thing. Like, Brian Ortega was not in jeopardy at all, so... Him trying to get the arm out wasn't out of desperation to, to, you know, like like the arm's about to break or like he's about to be submitted or he's about to tap because there's so much pressure. It was literally just a tight hold on it where he was trying to get it out so he could use it to punch Yair in the face. Yeah. Well, I thought it was more, I'm not going to say like he was in trouble, but I think he felt like if I don't get my arm out, I'm going to be in trouble. So that's kind of what I thought. I mean, of course, he's trying to pull his arm out so he can punch Yair in yeah. the face. But I, I, I kind of thought like, he yanked it like that in that manner 
Because if he hadn't yanked it out, like I do feel like Yair would have been able to lock his arm up in a in a submission. But yeah, I don't, it's, know, it's I don't a tough know. One, I, man. I would have to I would have, I would have to watch that again to see like exactly what. But that's how it looked uh, as I watched it live. So. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it, it's a tricky situation. And I, again, and I saw it the other way, which I could rewatch it and maybe completely flip my opinion. But exactly. Yeah, it's it's a tough call, man. I don't like I I don't think there's a right answer, unfortunately, with that one. At the end of the day, you just have to give Yair the win. Unfortunately, you have to give Ortega the loss. And to yeah. your point, like it sucks that Yair's not going to get the momentum out of a win over Ortega that that he normally would. And on the other side of that, Ortega's not going to suffer as badly from losing that the way that he did as if, you know, he had been knocked out or, or, you know, just gets decisively beat. So um, it's almost just unfortunate because you kind of have to just hit the reset button in all areas, a lot like O'Malley and Pedro Munoz, right? And maybe they just go, exactly. go in completely different directions, or maybe we see this again at some point. But um, I tend to think that probably going to see Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett for the interim belt because that's what we do now, right? <laughs> your like favorite, Your favorite thing in the world, man. <laughs> like I, Volk, Volk said he likes it because it, you know, for him, it makes sense because it adds dollars to his pocket, right? If, if he gets to fight somebody that's labeled the interim champion, that just, that, that makes the fight bigger. I don't like it because it, like, there's a place for interim titles, but it kind of feels like they're starting to just do this way too much. Yeah. Um, look, I... I I'm not in favor of interim title, but like in this situation, like Volk is actually injured. Like Volk just sure. had thumb surgery, and Volk does have aspirations to want to move up and fight for the lightweight title. So, and Volk is a guy who's always said, "I don't want to hold up the division." Like he's a he's a champion's champion. Like this is a guy who, will, if there was a clear number one contender like Max Holloway was, he will fight him. Yeah. But like there is no clear cut number one contender. Like. You've got Yair and you got Josh Emmett who can make uh, very good cases of being the number one contender. Um, so with with the division still trying to sort itself out uh, and, and with Yair and Josh Emmett, their names not being, you know, the biggest. If they had that interim title, that interim champion label next to their names, he's right. It would definitely make uh, the, the title fight that much bigger. And uh, it, it just it just buys him some time. And without holding up the division at the same time. Yeah. So um, I'm in favor of it. Uh, I'm not going to say I like it, but I mean, I think it's good for, for Yair and Josh Emmett to have that opportunity uh, to hold a piece of the title while the champs recover. And maybe it finally clears the path for Brian Ortega and Calvin Cater to finally fight, because that's the fight I've wanted in this division outside of the Max Volk trilogy that had been going on. Ortega Cater's the fight I've wanted the most in this division for a long time. So maybe maybe that clears the path for those two to get inside the octagon. Amanda Limosh with a... Oh, go ahead. Okay, I just had a question. I mean, if, if you do Ortega and Calvin Cater, which I would love to see that fight, what in the hell do you do with Arnold Allen? Max Holloway. Because <laughs> this is a guy... Really? Max Holloway? Yeah. Oh. Man, Max has fought Ortega. I, I kinda, Max has fought Cater. Like, we don't need to go... Like, he dominated both of those guys. We don't need to see that fight again. Let's go Arnold Allen. I'm, guy's on a massive I, win streak. I'm very curious to see what happens with Max Holloway next. Because, like, why... I kind of feel like he's fought his last fight at 145. But, like, if, he's, if he stays, I would love to see him fight Arnold Allen. That would be a great fight. Yeah. I mean, that you bring up an interesting point. Talking about the... The names at the top of 155 being big star yeah. names and needing star opponents. I mean, maybe that answers some of that question as well. Although, dude, yeah. he was, it just felt like he was so outmatched from a power standpoint against Dustin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a fun fight, yeah. but it just, 
you could tell every time Dustin landed versus when Max landed, it was just night and day, right? It's like a sledgehammer yeah. and a pillow. It, it, it is kind of the same thing that happened with Volk in a way. Like, yeah. there was such a... Uh, like, when Max would land, it was okay, but when Volk would land, there was obviously yeah. a, a, a drastic reaction uh, from that. But, yeah, Max at, at Lightweight would be fun. I'm, the builds and everything. So you it. add another start that division. I'm here for it. Yeah. Okay, so Limosh over uh, Michelle Waterson. Uh, impressive win, big-time bounce back for somebody that I know we both felt like had pretty good momentum and then just kind of... Uh, you know, that Andrade fight was crazy because it just it ended so quickly that, uh, you know, I know that Limosh was kicking herself for the way that that thing went. But uh, for somebody that I feel like can be a title contender in that division, uh, good to see her get a big win. Yeah, um, I think uh, Amanda Limos definitely is, is a contender in this division. I think that Andrade fight, I think that that's like the only person um, that that I felt like could match her strength-wise, could match her power-wise. I, I, and I thought that the experience of, of Andrade was going to shine through, and, and, and it did. But Lemos had some moments in that fight, like her leg kicks and everything. It did seem like uh, it forced on, uh, Jessica Andrade to want to wanna grapple and want to grab a hold of her. Um, but I, Amanda Lemos has a lot of skill. She's powerful. Um, I expected this to be like a 30-27, 30-26 kind of uh, wipeout, but I was very impressed to see the 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 guillotine finish because, I mean, Michelle Watterson is very tough to finish. Like she rarely gets finished. Like she's a she's a um, decision one of the decision queens. Like she's mm-hmm. always fighting to a decision. But for for Amanda Limos to finish her and to submit her, that's a that's a huge feather in, in her cap. So uh, I was very impressed to see that from Amanda Limos. Uh, I'm very interested to see what's next for her because I she's um, she's she's going to be tough in this division for sure. Does Yan Xiaonan have a fight? Yes, she's uh, fighting um, Mackenzie Dern. Oh, okay. I missed that. Okay, then. I, I, that's a fun matchup. Yeah, that, that is. Uh, I think uh, Mackenzie's right right on the doorstep of a title shot. Yeah. She just needs uh, a few wins. But, yeah, uh, Dern is ranked number four, and Xiaonan's uh, number five. Yeah, I'm, like, looking. Uh, maybe Tisha Torres, Limosh? Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. Um, didn't who did Tisha Torres just fight? Was it? It wasn't uh, Lemos, was it? She lost to Mackenzie Dern. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess it would make sense because you know Lemos did did have that loss to Andrade, and Tisha Torres had won a few in a row before she lost to uh, Mackenzie Dern. So, I mean, and, good and it's another up, right. Yeah, stylistically good matchup, and it's another experienced fighter for Amanda Lemos to fight. Uh, I like it. There you go. Um, we had uh, Jing Liang and Salikov. We were both on the Salikov side of this, which, uh, you know, his attack is is pretty wild. And um, Li Zhang Liang, which I think the last time, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the last time we saw him was the Hamzat Annihilation. Right. Um, yeah. Gets the, gets the win here, gets the finish, which... I, I did not think that was going his way for the majority of this fight. Yeah, man. Uh, see, I've never really been um, convinced on Lee. Like, I remember he knocked out Ponzinibbio, and I kind of attributed that to Ponzinibbio being out for so long right. with that layoff and all the sickness and everything. Um, Hamzat, I, I kind of expected Hamzat to kind of roll over him. Uh, but this fight, you know, I kind of, I was, we picked Shalikov. Uh, I thought that um, he would be able to control this fight and, be, and go to a decision, but I guess I underestimated the power that Lee possesses because once he landed 
uh, that big shot on Salikov, like you, you saw his whole face change. Like it was, it was completely different. Uh, and then Lee, like once he smelled that blood, like he just went in for the finish. And uh, it was a very, very good performance for Lee uh, coming off that Hamza fight. That's the type of that's what you need when you come off a, a, a fight like that. You know, Hamza have so much hype. And then you're a guy that's just kind of going in there to be just kind of tossed to him as like easy food or whatever uh, to Hamza. So this is um, a big win for him coming off that. Um, I, I've underestimated him for too long. I think it's time for me to start giving him some credit, give him some props. Matt Schnell and Sumudarji was fucking awesome. This fight was so badass. Like, I was just grinning ear to ear, Will. This fight had everything, right? Like, how many times did Matt Schnell get rocked in that round? Like eight? Bro. Like every time <laughs> Sumudarji landed something, like Matt Schnell's knees were wobbling. And then <laughs> it, was, it was like eight times he got wobbled. I, like I was just waiting for the finish and then it just like got turned on its head. It was so badass. Yeah, that fight was insane. Like those elbows were picture perfect. Like there's not many people that would be able to take those elbows and, and stay standing. It just goes to show like Matt Schnell was in fantastic shape for this fight. Because uh, he took so many elbows. And then, like, it seemed like Sumudarji knew, like, okay, I'm hitting him right on the chin. And it's not, and it, like, his knees his knees are going, but he's yeah. not actually going down. Like, if I hit him behind the ear, like, he was changing his elbow to hit him behind the ear a few times. And still, like, Mashdell's knees was just, was going out and everything. But it just, it, it never materialized until the finish. And I feel like Sumudarji, like, he, he smelled blood, obviously. But he just couldn't get him out of there. And, and I think he kind of... His tank just kind of went down, and then Matt Schnell, just to wrap up that submission, yeah. that triangle, and then Sumodaji just goes out, and <laughs> that that picture that's that's online of uh, of Sumodaji on his back, and just drenched in blood, yeah. and then Matt Schnell just uh, getting up. It's it's a it's a phenomenal picture, man. Uh, I, Matt Schnell is, no one, is another one of those guys who I've been like, uh, he's kind of hit or miss. Right. Very kind of inconsistent. Like you can see, there's some potential there, but he doesn't always show up. Uh, I, I learned a lot about Matt Schnell in this fight, as I'm sure that a lot of the world did. Yeah. Like this guy's tough as shit, and for him to take all those elbows and, the, and to come out with that victory uh, says a lot about him. I've always felt like he was really good. I just, I've just never really felt like I've seen the elite ceiling like you see with the guys that are at the top of the division, right? So, um, which I don't know that this one gives me the elite ceiling vibe either, but. You gotta respect the dude, man. Like, oh, I yeah. thought he was done. I, I was like, this has got to be a record for wobbles in a round. Like, <laughs> he just wouldn't drop, but like he was getting just hammered, and every one of them, it was just like, he's gonna go. It's like it's like Jenga, right? Every time you pull one, <laughs> the tower like shakes a little bit. You keep thinking like yeah. the next one is gonna make it crumble, and then it shakes. It like that's what it was like, and he just kept getting wobbled and wobbled and wobbled, and then finally, like next thing you know, Sumudarji's a bloody mess, and Matt Schnell's having his hand raised. You're like, how did that even happen? <laughs> so great, man. It was so great. Like, I love those kind of fights. It was it was awesome. Um, let's see. What do we have next? Shane Burgos, Charles Jordan. This was a, a really fun fight as well. And I'll be honest with you, man. I'm a big Shane Burgos fan. I kind of think Charles Jordan might have won this fight. Oh, man. So I, I wasn't scoring it. So, like, I you know, I, I wasn't, like in front of the television for the duration of the fight, like kind of in my mind scoring it. So like I normally will tell you, like I had it three, one, you know, three Oh or, or two, one or four, one. Right. Like I, I didn't score this one, but just based on what I watched, I kind of felt like Jordan did a little bit more. I think it, it just comes down to how you scored that first round. Um, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Like I wouldn't have been mad if uh, Charles Jordan 
uh, one. I scored the first round for Burgos. I felt like he just did a little bit more. He edged him out by a slim margin. But that first round was so close. Like, if Jordan would have won, like I said, I wouldn't have had any issue with it. Uh, the second round, I thought Burgos uh, won clearly. And then the third round, like, I, I don't score 10. I, I, it, it, you really have to do a lot to do to have 10-8 in my scorebook. Yeah. That was as close to a 10-8 that, that you can get. But I, I gave it a 10-9. But Jordan went off on Burgos in that round. Landed like a hundred plus strikes, uh, and Bregos barely landed anything. Like in terms of damage and and the numbers and everything, like that's very close to a ten eight. But um, I think it, like if Jordan would, would have had like a knockdown, which I don't think he did in that third round. If he would have knocked him down, I probably would have gave Jordan a ten eight in that round. But for me, it was uh, twenty nine twenty eight for Burgos with that first round being so close. But uh, this was a very very uh, fun fight, very interesting fight. Uh, a lot of grappling. Uh, from Burgos yeah. a little bit more than I thought there would be, but um, I thought this would be more of like what we saw in, in MSG with him and Billy Q, just a knockdown, drag out, which is kind of what it turned into in the third round. But uh, yeah, Burgos is is trying to show like he's more than just a, a guy who gets into these firefights, these wars. So um, he's he's showing that he's got more layers to his game. So I'm, I'm I'm happy that he got the win. The thought did cross my mind during this fight, like is the damage starting to have an impact? Because and this was another fun one. Like, I've never seen a bad Shane Burgos fight, right? Like, he's always in great fights. He always lays it on the line. It's why I, I love watching the guy. Uh, at some point, though, you take so much damage that, you know, you you start to lose a little bit. And I don't know that I felt like he was... But, you know, he said, like, the gas tank wasn't there after the fight. Um, he, he just... I felt like he looked like a little bit of a, a different guy than we've seen in the past. And I don't know if that's maybe just the damage or, you know, look, everybody has has off days in the office as well. So that could be that could be it simply without the damage part. But when you've had as many wars as he's had, you know, I feel like that probably crosses some people's mind. Yeah, I think that's probably 100% what we saw on Saturday. Like, the wars are starting to add up, and Jane Burgos kind of felt like, I need to fight a little smarter. I need to uh, fight a little safer. Uh, because any of these any of these guys, these guys like Jordan, like uh, Billy Q, like uh, Josh Emmett, who he fought before, Calvin Cater, who he's fought before, like, if you, if you land that, that shot, that one shot, He's had so many wars, like, he might not be able to take uh, a shot from Jordan on this night. And sure, he took uh, a bunch of them in the third round, but you never know. Because, like, like that Edson Barbosa knockout was so scary. Yeah. Like, you never know if, if that is going to come out and happen again. So, I think Burgos is trying to take a little smarter, safer approach. And uh, But this was still... Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to say it was a war that we that we're used to seeing from Burgos, but I would still kind of consider it a war. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. I mean, especially the third round for him. Guarantee you he thought the yeah. third round was a war for sure. Uh, and I mean, there were good exchanges in like, you, you know, the first round. Um, this main card started with Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate. Lauren Murphy was incredibly impressive in this fight, Will. Like, I did not think she was going to completely manhandle Misha Tate the way that she did. She was clearly the stronger Man. fighter, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... You know, this was my thoughts on this fight. Like, I like we would have did the podcast, I would have said, you know, Misha going down to 125. Um, I like it because she's fighting Lauren Murphy, who's not going to knock her out. Like, we saw Cody go down and get knocked out because if you take those big shots, you're not, you know, sometimes you're just not able to take them. Like, when you cut that much weight, Cody Garbrandt, Dan Hooker, we saw that with them. So I thought that Misha would be able to cut this weight. And with Lauren Murphy not being like a, a powerful striker or anything, 
uh, I thought that Misha would be able to overpower, not maybe, maybe not overpower her, but I thought she was faster than mm-hmm. Lauren Murphy. I thought she was more skilled. I thought that uh, Misha would be able to win an easy decision, but this fight was completely different from what I expected. Uh, Laura Murphy was the stronger fighter. It seemed like Laura Murphy was the more skilled fighter. Uh, where I think that Misha, where this weight cut affected her, it seemed like Misha Tate was so slow. I mean, I, we watched, I watched her fight Caitlin Vieira, and I definitely didn't feel like she was that slow when she fought Caitlin Vieira. This fight, it looked like everything that she was doing was in slow motion. And whenever they would grapple, it just seemed like Lauren Murphy was just, like, throwing her around, yeah. like, wherever. And I'm just like, wow, like, I really wasn't expecting that. So I feel like this weight cut did affect her in, in other ways. Um, I don't really know what's next for, for Misha Tate, but I definitely felt like Lauren Murphy looked faster uh, than she had in, in, in her previous fights. This was the best that Lauren Murphy has looked uh, in a long time. It, it seems like a lot of times she kind of squeaks out decisions. This was a dominant win for, uh, for Lauren Murphy in my mind. I, I feel comfortable saying it's the best I've ever seen her. Yeah. Like, I can't remember any fight that I came away more impressed uh, than that one. Um, it's, it, you know, that division, we've talked about it so many times, it's just, where do you go? Because it's just Valentina and then everybody else, and then toward the bottom of the division, you finally have some fresh faces. But um, impressive win for Lauren Mur- Murphy, no doubt. Um, okay, we have, we've got to talk about this fight. We, you and I were texting back and forth last week, like, Ricky Simone Jack Shore to me was the second best fight on this entire card. It was on the prelims. And that's just once again a testament. Death taxes and bantamweights, man. They always deliver. This was a fun fight, and uh, Ricky Simone gets it done. Man, this was so disrespectful to them because, like you said, probably the second or third, like I was most excited for probably Yair and Ortega, and then, you know, Burgos and Jordan, I was excited for, but some Ricky Simone and Jack Shore is right up there. I felt like. This could have easily been uh, the co-main over Lemotion and Michelle yeah. Watterson. Uh, this fight was so exciting. I was I was very uh, excited for it. Uh, but Ricky Simone, man, his pressure. Um, I felt like Jack Shore just was never able to get to get off to get started. Uh, Ricky Simone was in his face. Uh, it never seemed like Jack Shore was able to like feel him out because Ricky Simone was just in his face. Pressuring him with takedowns, pressuring him, and and Jack Shore fought off the takedowns as well as he could for as long as he could, but it just got to a point where Ricky Smith landed landed that right hand and uh, put Jack Shore down, and then wrapped up the submission. Uh, I I knew that this was going to be a tough fight for Jack Shore for both guys. I knew this was going to be yeah. a tough fight, but I I just liked the the potential of Jack Shore just a little bit more, and I thought that Jack Shore would be able to find a way to win. But I knew that this was a dangerous, dangerous fight and that Jack Shore could lose. I just, I, at the time, I just didn't see it. I thought Jack Shore would be able to come out on top, but Ricky Simone looked outstanding in this fight. Ricky Simone moves up to number 11. Uh, I'm sure he wants somebody ranked ahead of him. I kind of like Ricky Simone, Umar Nurmagomedov. Umar's 14, Ooh. by the way. That, that's a good fight. Um, oof, man. Talk about a, talk about the boogeyman in that division, like Umar Nurmagomedov. Uh, this this division is so loaded, man. Yeah, you know I forgot all about him. And everybody, I love to see that fight. Almost everybody in the top ten, I think, has a fight right now other than Font, I believe. Yeah, with 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 Peter Yan fighting now, so yeah, everyone's pretty much booked. Yan uh, O'Malley, think, well, Aljo Dillashaw, Aldo Marab, uh, Cheeto. Who's Cheeto got? Cruz. Uh, Cruz. Sanhagen has. Um, Song Yudong. Song Yudong. 
Yeah, so there you go. Rob Font. Yeah, and then, uh, well, what's going to happen with Pedro oh, next? Yeah, Pedro. I, mean, I mean, I don't know like how quick he's going to rebound from his eye, but I mean, I guess you could throw them in there. Um, Frankie Edgar it has called for his last fight in, uh, at MSG. So, you know, I'm sure he's going to want to fight somebody, you know, in the top 15 for his last fight. So, you know, maybe Ricky Simone uh, fights there, but I don't love that. I don't that know, man. Fight, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know who they're going to get Frankie at this point. You know, you just got to put him in there with any with, with somebody. Maybe so, somebody who, you know, is going to rebound and going to take like maybe Jack Shore will fight Frankie. Edgar. Right. And that would be you a know, fun fight, right? Like Ricky Simone, I just feel like kind of grounds him, grounds and pounds him. And it's it's not stylistic. It's not visually pleasing. Uh, and it's it's not you know a big name either. I, I feel like with Frankie Edgar's final fight, you at least got to either give him a big name opposite or somebody that's going to stylistically give him a matchup that's going to be fun, right? Yeah, so what do you think about? I know we're going all over the place, but what do you think about Frankie Edgar Rob Font since he's there? There we go. I like that. Yeah. Like yeah. That so I mean, if if it's not Rob Font, I mean, I don't really see where else they go. Like he called for Dominic Cruz, but I don't really feel like he'll get that fight. I mean, unless Cruz. Beats Cheeto in a, in a in pretty easy fashion. I mean, I don't think Cruz is normally not the guy to, to have like quick turnarounds because, you know, he's the guy that needs to recover and stuff. And I'm sure that fight with Cheeto is going to be a, a war. So I don't think Frank is going to get Dominic Cruz. So I think he's going to have to fight with these younger guys. How about, uh, how about Cody Garbrandt, Frankie Edgar? Wow. You know, that might actually be where they go. I would not be surprised at all if that's where they. Actually, I was with you until I just remembered that they're training partners. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah. Yeah, they're they're, they're they're training partners. Like Cody moved out there to his gym, but uh, if if they were training partners, that would have been the perfect fight. Yeah, that was. I was like, that's that so good. Be, I would totally watch that, that. Yeah, and especially with them being at MSG, like, you know, who knows? Maybe that's still a fight that's in the realm of possibility because it's his last fight. It's it's in MSG. He wants to go out with somebody who's got a name. Yeah. Why not Cody Garbrandt? Like, that's a winnable fight. Yeah. You know, who knows? I hear you. Um, all right, so the rest of the prelims, uh, I'll just give a couple quick thoughts you can share. Always love Puna Soriano. I mean, just delivers. Um, had a couple of tough losses, but bounced back with a big win. Um, I still like watching him and think he's a draw. I, Dustin Jacoby is really interesting to me at 205. I can't wait to see what they do with him next, but uh, I feel like it's going to be something fun, and he's just been on a tear since his return to the UFC. And then we already talked about it at the top, but I'll just once again give a second shout-out to Emily Ducote, who trains out of Oklahoma City with the big win to start this card. Yeah, you know, Emily Ducote with the, uh, just looked outstanding, looked like she uh, you know, had been there. She uh, didn't overextend herself, got a nice win with Jessica Panay, really chopped up her legs. Uh, but I'm with you on Dustin Jacoby, man. Uh, he's ranked 15th, and I think you know he's another guy that's been a little disrespected because he's always on the prelims of these fight nights. And I'm like, man, a lot of people who who are in the top 15 aren't on the prelims <laughs> on these fight nights. Like they're in the main card. I know that this card was loaded, but I think we need to give Dustin Jacoby, you know, a little bit of love here uh, because he's on like a four or five fight winning streak, and he's finishing guys left and right. So. Uh, I love his style. Very good kickboxer. Um, to get the to get a, a KO over uh, Da Yung Jung, who was undefeated, uh, I, I think man, he's got to have something in the top fifteen next. Uh, I, I I think he was fifteen. I think he deserves some yeah. somebody else who's ranked for sure. Uh, 
How about that Bill Algio and Herbert Burns fight? Oh, though? that was crazy too, man. That was so crazy. Insane. I thought Herbert Burns was definitely on his way to a yep. win. I was in, I was in the airport watching that, uh, just like going like, oh, oh, like it's over, it's over. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like it just seemed like Herbert Burns just like stopped working. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, like that. Yeah. Like the meter, like you always say, the meter just completely ran out and was on was on E, <laughs> and uh, like Diego Fajeda, right? Exactly, but I think this one was worse. This was way worse, yeah. But yeah, it was like literally somebody turned the light off and there's no power. And then like when when you saw him try to get up, like I have no problem with that stoppage. Yeah. When he tried to get up and he was just like, oh my God. Like, yeah, like I have no problem with that stoppage. Uh, That was a crazy fight. And then uh, Soriano, man, like you said, always fun to watch. Always gets uh, some really solid finishes. He's really good striking. But, you know, he's had some some uh, mishaps with some guys who are good grapplers and stuff. But he, he's definitely got a bright future for sure. Yeah. All in all, man, this was a pretty solid card. Good card. Uh, all of these fight nights that are in front of fans have delivered for sure. Yeah. Let's uh, let's make this a regular thing. Come to Oklahoma City, for example. Maybe Emily Dakota can uh, main card that one. I'm in. All right. Before we, uh, before we get to our picks for... UFC London Blades Aspinall. Uh, you want to do some mid-season awards? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, so I thought we would do fight of the year, KO of the year, performance of the year, and then male and female fighters of the year. What do you think? Perfect. If you've got another um, category you want to throw in, by all means, feel free. Um, we start with fight of the year, and I'll just say, like, there was a point in time where I was convinced that nothing in 2022 was going to beat Hamza Chimaev and Gilbert Burns, and enter Yuri Prohaska, Glover Teixeira. Like this is going to be the fight of the year. What a what an incredible like. I, there's, I don't even know what would have to happen for another fight to be better than Yuri Prohaska, Glover Teixeira. Yeah, I mean, I mean that fight had it all. I mean, it's, a title's on the line. These guys are going back and forth. So many momentum swings and and everything. And then for the fight to end the way it did in the fifth. Glover Teixeira is 20 seconds away from retaining his title, and then uh, he's wrapped up in a submission. And these guys just gave it all. They gave it their all. They had literally nothing left. If that submission was wrapped on Glover in the first or second or even the third round, like, that probably wouldn't have, you know, probably – that wouldn't have even, you know, done anything. But these guys had absolutely nothing left. And, you know, it was just like a last-ditch effort from Yuri, and it somehow worked. So – yeah, that's my fight of the year as well. But you know, I definitely want to give some love to Hamzat and Burns. That was crazy. I mean, and some of these fights that we that we saw lately. I mean, I know that they're not going to be fight of the year, but like we've seen some pretty crazy fights, like Schnell and Sumu Darji. Oh, yeah, and, it was so good. Um, um, Malarkey, Michael Johnson was was good. Like there's there's been so many good fights, but nothing is going to come in, uh, in comparison to what um, Hamzat and Burns did, and then of course to what the number one fight of the year is, which is Glover and Yuri. Knockout of the year. Uh, this one's pretty easy to me. Um, I don't know if you had a hard time picking one here, but uh, this one was very easily Michael Chandler on Tony Ferguson. Yeah, uh, easily. I mean, uh, Molly McCann with her knockout of uh, of uh, Luana Carlina, and then uh, you know Wei Lee over Joanna was kind of crazy, yeah. but like you know nothing compares to what like Tony Ferguson, the boogeyman, El Kukui. This guy doesn't get dropped. He barely ever gets even dropped. But for him to get flatlined like that was insane to see. I mean, for him to be knocked out like that in that fashion and just what it was, like a freaking punt kick uh, to, to the to the chin. I mean, 
I mean, yeah, that that is clearly the knockout of the year for sure. Yeah, I I had no problem like if I had to do a ballot and was going to pick some other like you know second, third, fourth. Like I feel like that one is safely in first, and there's no other competitor. Oh, yeah. uh, the other ones that would come to mind in terms of like the, you mentioned Molly McCann, that would be up there. Uh, tied to Ivas over Derek Lewis would be up there. Um, Ilya Teporia and Jai Herbert. Oh. I forgot about um, that. Yeah, that one would be up there, and then maybe it's a it's somewhat recency bias, but I think it just in terms of like the build of this guy and the devastating fashion in which this happened, um, Pajeda and Strickland, like you know, I know it wasn't like the flashiest thing we've seen. It wasn't some like roundhouse kick, but it's just like holy shit, like. This dude is everything that has been advertised. It was kind of the punctuation on this giant wave of momentum for him. So I would probably put that one in the conversation to be somewhere in that group of the the tier twos. Yeah, it, it was it was devastating and to the point. It wasn't anything flashy. It was just devastating. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, like you said, it, it's just like the combination of everything, of all of the hype that this guy had. And it just showed like this guy is the real deal and that he's ready for Izzy. Uh, performance of the year. I feel like this is also a really easy one, right? I mean, is there anything in 2022 that's going to be Alexander Volkanovsky completely dominating Max Holloway? Man, I mean, I mean, it depends. Like, that's my pick as well. Okay. But like, if you wanted to, you could say like, I guess that would that would be more of a comeback, but like Francis, how he came back against Surreal being down two rounds, yeah. you know. But like, yeah, I mean, Alexander Volkanovsky completely shutting out Max Holloway, who many people believed was the best um, featherweight of all time. Uh, Guilty as charged, <laughs> right? You know, me, me too. Like, I think, you know, like him, Aldo, and and Volkanovsky are all in this little, you know, they're all right there. But yeah, I mean, for Volk to do that. To completely shut him out. Max did not win one round. Yeah. I mean, that's how you put a stamp on a trilogy. I mean, it, you know, I know that Volk won the first two and everything, but there was like some life into for Max in both of those fights. But this one, there was nothing. It was a complete shutout. Volk is talking to him, uh, and you know he's cutting him up. I mean, that's not something that you see happen to an all-time great like Max Holloway. So yeah, I'm with you on yeah. on Volk for sure. Which takes us to male fighter of the year, and I guess I have to double down on Volk. Um, part of this is bad timing, right? Because, like, I immediately thought Charles Oliveira, but his Poirier win was in December. Uh, so he doesn't quite yeah. sneak into 2022. So he has the one win against Jay, uh, Gaethje in 2022. Volk has two wins this year, including the trilogy domination of Max Holloway. Just, I, there's no way I could give this to anybody but Volkanovski, at least midway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really would love to give this to Charles, but like you said, he only has one win. And that win was a, a, a fantastic win. But then there's also the the controversy with the weight cut right. uh, and, and then the uh, how the title wasn't, you know, his and everything, all that, all that shit. So, you know, Volk completely wiped out the Korean zombie. That fight wasn't close. He got the finish. And then he rebound he rebounds that with a complete wipeout of Max Holloway. That fight wasn't close, but he didn't get the finish. But he left Max Holloway uh, a bloody mess. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, up to this point, it is definitely Volk. I mean, Izzy's fought twice, but and he's got two championship wins, but of course, he didn't do what Volk did, so yeah. Yeah, Volk he, for sure. He didn't dominate anybody. Well, I mean, like, not like that, right? Like, right, right, the right, Cannoneer right. win was an easy win, I thought. 
Um, right. You know, the Whitaker win was some people felt like Whitaker won. I didn't feel that way. I thought that was kind of an either. easy, easy win, but mm -hmm. it wasn't. I mean, there was nothing dominating about it, right? Like he won the fight easily, but he didn't dominate the fight, if that makes sense. Uh, Volkanovsky dominated the fight uh, in a way that it was like we've never seen that done to Max Holloway before. Um, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Very easy. OK, this one is really difficult, dude. Like dead serious, really difficult female fighter of the year. Where do you go? I thought that this was going to be difficult for me, but I, I, it, when I the more I thought about it, uh, I had a clear answer. Okay. My female fighter of the year, even though it's not a champion, but my female fighter of the year up to this point is Zhang Wei Li. We went the same way. We went the same way. <laughs> I mean, I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do here. So I started going through like, obviously, I'm not giving it to Rose or Carla. Oh, hell no. <laughs> um, Valentina just retained her belt. In a win that, like, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to make the case that she didn't win that. I think there's a pretty good case to be made. I scored it for Absolutely. Valentina, but man, that was that was thin. Um, Nunes lost. Well, Juliana beat Amanda in 2021. That fight didn't even happen this year. Or Juliana right. Pena would be easily my pick there. And then you start going down through like the the rankings, and there's not just a clear cut like this person has so much momentum that they're undeniable. Um, Zhang Wei Li knocking out Joanna in the in the sequel to what was one of the greatest fights we've ever seen has to put her over the top I, I completely agree this was this was really tough though like it took me a while to land there because she had lost the back-to-back -back titles like I know that that doesn't necessarily count toward 2022 but uh, I feel like she has had the highlight of 2022 to this point in the in, in all three women or four I guess if you want to technically throw a featherweight in there but uh, in all the women's divisions yeah yeah, you know, it, it's, it's not common to go away from the champions when it comes to a fighter of the year. But um, up to this point, I mean, the champions haven't fought. Nunez and Pena haven't fought yet. Like you said, Valentina had a questionable win against Taya Santos. And then, of course, Carla's not going to get any uh, any recommendations <laughs> from anybody off of that performance from, from Ro against Rose. So you start to look at the rest of the performances and then like you, you zero in on John Wei Lee's performance against Joanna. Not only did she get the finish, but she looked dominant in that fight. Yeah. She looked dominant from the start of the, of the, of the fight. She looked like she had gotten so much better from, from the last time we even saw her against Rose. And she, it, it seems like she just continues to evolve. Uh, she's a, she's a great athlete. She's chiseled, but she's starting to really like, uh, she's starting to really understand how to put things together with MMA. I mean, that the athlete in her took her so far to the championship, but you know, now she's starting to add those other layers to MMA and it, that was on display against, against Joanna. She dominated her from the, from the opening bell and then got the finish. So she's definitely a female fighter of the year for me. I will say this. I think if Charles Oliveira beats Islam, I, I don't know that I can go in any direction, but Charles Oliveira for fighter of the year by the, by the time 2022 ends, even with the Volk max win, like what Charles has done in that division, Gaethje and Islam in 2022, man. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it would be, oh man, because you know, that, that Korean zombie victory with, uh, with Volk. Yeah. Uh, and then you put uh, that against, the Gaethje and Islam that Charles would have, and then Volk would have Max and Korean Zombie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would give that to Charles too. Yeah, but I mean, short of that, I don't know that there's. Uh, 
I, I don't know that anybody could do anything to, to upset Volk at this point. I think he's got it pretty secured other than Charles Oliveira having a path maybe to, to steal that from him by the time this year ends. But otherwise, everything else is, is up for grabs. Yeah, yeah, other for sure, absolutely. So, I, I'm calling it. I, actually, I, I, also wanted to, uh, I also wanted to say, uh, Female Fighter of the Year, there's some, uh, Emily Dakota is definitely getting some, some love for female fighter over 100%, here. absolutely. <laughs> She's definitely getting some love over here after that uh, flawless, flawless debut. You know, she's 14 now. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, so I hope she gets uh, somebody in the top 15 next. I mean, because, you know, looking at the rankings, I feel like she she's could really beat a majority of these girls. Like, uh, Vienna Zanjiroba, Angela Hill... Uh, uh, Nina Nunez, Tisha Torres, even going up some. Like, I know that she's not, she doesn't have the experience of a lot of these girls, but the skill is definitely there. Like right now, straight up, I'd pick her over Angela Hill, uh, Janaroba, Waterson, Nina Nunez. So at least four fighters that are like off the top of my head. Like I'm not, I, maybe I'd pick her above some others that have put a little more thought into it. But off the top of my head, it'd be an easy pick for her over those four at least that currently have a, a better number than she does. Yeah, and then Amanda Hebos and Dakota would be great. It'd be a great fight. Um, I mean Amanda Lemos. Uh, I mean that one's gonna be tough because yeah. of, of the power and the size of Lemos. But I, I wouldn't put it past Emily Dakota. I mean we might see her uh, bring out the 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 uh, the devastator that's inside her against yeah. Lemos. Uh, and then, like going up to the top, man. There's a lot of fun matches for Emily Dakota, but I, I definitely feel like she'll get somebody ranked next. Yeah, there's a bright future there for sure. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens next, and uh, excited for your continued uh, practice. With well, next time I'll, I'll definitely get that get it on film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. We're headed back to London on Saturday. UFC Fight Night London. Blades Aspinall is your main event. You have a five point lead. Thanks to our flip-flopping of main events over the last two weeks going into this fight card that I think is an awesome, awesome fight card. From start to finish, the prelims are great. The main card is exceptional. Uh, I can't wait to hear which way you're going to go on some of these because I do think they're really interesting fights on this card. And the main card starts in the light heavyweight division. We have ranked fighters Paul Craig and Vulcan Uzdemir. And I'm stalling right now because I accidentally closed my odds page. Just pulling that up as we speak. <laughs> Click the wrong button. All right, here we go. Uzdemir is the minus 160 favorite, plus 130 for Paul Craig. Wait, run that, run that by me again? Vulcan Uzdemir is your favorite, minus 160, plus wow. 130 for Paul Craig. Wow. I definitely I didn't expect Vulcan to be the favorite. Uh, I know Paul Craig has been a little chinny at times. And I know that Vulcan packs a punch. Uh, when, you know, he's in terms of light heavyweight division, he's one of the best when it comes to you know getting knockouts and stuff. But I feel like this is a a, a Paul Craig win for me. Uh, I, I mean, Vulcan, he's kind of a gatekeeper at this point, and um, I like the uh, I like where Paul Craig has been headed. Uh, you know, if you if you're on the ground with this guy, he can get a, he can wrap up a submission at any time. He's one of the uh, few light heavyweights that that do that i mean anthony smith does it as well but you know paul craig it seems like that's like a staple of his so um i i'm surprised that vulcan is the favorite but uh i'm going paul craig here 
it seems like forever ago that Vulcan beat uh, Rokic, by the way. Um, that was 2019. Damn. He's only had two fights okay. since then, and that was the loss to Yuri Prohaska, and that was the loss to Ankalaev, which, I mean, look, those guys obviously speak for themselves. Um, yeah, this is a, a tough one. I, I thought that Craig would probably be either the slight favorite or it would be as close to a pickup as possible. Um, this is Paul Craig for me because I just think it, this fight's going to go to the ground at some point, and when it does, I think Paul Craig finishes the fight. So, yeah, that's uh, he's just so skilled, and you know, Uzdemir certainly could land the big punch, but uh, I feel like there's a better chance of Paul Craig getting this down and either dominating on the ground or finishing the fight. But if I had to bet on it, I would I would bet on the finish for Paul Craig. All right, fight number two on this card is in the women's flyweight division. We have Meatball Molly McCann and Hannah Goldie. Our odds from Odd Shark: McCann minus four hundred, Goldie plus three hundred. Um, yeah, this is definitely going to be uh, this is definitely going to be Meatball Molly for me. Uh, I feel like they've kind of, I mean. Goldie's okay. She's 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 good, but I feel like Meatball Molly fighting in front of uh, those fans in London. I mean, it, it really felt felt like she just like had a uh, like those like all those fans were fighting in the octagon with her yeah. the last that last time around because she was on fire the entire time, and I feel like that's what we'll see again. Uh, and I'm a fan of Meatball Molly. I mean, uh, outside of the octagon, she seems like yeah. she's a very dope person. So uh, I'm going uh, Molly McCann here. This uh, this very much feels like the UFC giving the hometown matchup, a, you know, a, a bit of a softball, right? Like it's it's yeah. still fighting, yeah, but sure. um, yeah, I think this is uh, this is set up for Molly McCann to have another big performance in front of the the home London crowd. All right, we have light heavyweights Nikita Krylov and Alexander Gustafson. Uh, Will I've been torn on this one all week long so i can't wait to hear you pick first because you have the five point <laughs> lead so let me hear what you have as krilov is your minus 190 favorite plus 155 for gustafson man um alexander gustafson john jones's arch nemesis uh so alexander gustafson i mean back in his day was one of the best light heavyweights still is one of the best light heavyweights of all time I mean, his boxing, the way he was putting combinations together. I mean, just look back at his fight with Glover. Look what he did to him in that fifth round. That combination that dropped him, those uppercuts. I mean, I don't think there's uh, a there's few combinations that are better than what Gus did to Glover that night. Um, but that fight with Glover was his last win. And, you know, I, I, I struggle to see, like, how, how much he wants it at this point. You know, he retired uh, after he lost to Anthony Smith. Uh, he lost to John Jones for the second time, lost to Anthony Smith, and then uh, retired. Comes back against Verdun two years ago during the pandemic uh, and then just, like, loses. It was it, Sure, it was at heavyweight, and Verdun is one of the great submission specialists in UFC history. But it was a quick uh, – I think the fight will last, like, a minute or two. So, I mean, I forget when that – uh, Anthony Smith fight was I, I believe that was 2019 so uh, he hasn't been active since 2019 and his last win was against uh, Glover Teixeira in 2017 so this is a guy who's even though he's skilled like he hasn't been active since 2019 
and how much does he have left? So the layoff, the questions, I mean, all of that. And, and Krylov is is good. Like, this isn't any type of slaps. Like, Krylov is, is good. He's been active. Uh, and he's, he fights a style that might cause Alexander some problems. So with the, with the layoff being what it is and with me not really knowing how much Alexander wants this at this point, my pick's going to go with Krylov. But uh, if, if Gustafson's that guy still, I got to see it because I, I kind of feel like this sport has evolved. And uh, I'm not going to say it's passed him by, but I think it's it's kind of on its way. Yeah, um, man, part of me is like, just just go opposite for the fun of it. Um, I mean, Krelov has lost four of his last six. Paul Craig, Ankolaev, Glover Teixeira, Jan Blahovich, right? I mean, again, all cream of the crop, really good guys. guys. Two wins, Johnny Walker. I mean, you know, some people have asked the question how much he wants it, depending on when he's going into the octagon. OSP, I mean, I, oh, I feel like this is a Krylov <laughs> win, but I feel like it's it's at le- there's at least the door is open enough where I don't, like, hate potentially taking the other side. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the layoff and everything else. Um, I, I'm gonna do- I, I'll say this. What? I'm going to say this. He did look really good against Paul Craig before yeah. he got caught in that submission. Yeah. Like he had Paul Craig on his back and he was looking really good. Yeah. Uh, I can't do it. I'm going to go Krelov as well. <laughs> I thought I'd talk myself into it, but just too many questions, man. Too many questions. Yeah. Too many questions, man. I mean, 35 years old at this point. I mean, we, I just got to see it. I got to see uh, what's left in, in yeah. Gus. How much does he want? It? Yeah. All right. Back to the lightweight division, which we've spent a decent amount of this podcast talking about. We have Patty Pimblett and Jordan the Monkey King Levitt. This is very intriguing to me, by the way. Patty Pimblett is the favorite at minus 260, plus 200 for Jordan Levitt. Now, out of all the fights that's been on this card, that's on this card... This one, this one's tough because, like I said before, like Patty Pimblett, I still have a lot of questions about him, and I feel like this is a proper step up to where, like, it makes you think, like, you know, Patty might not win this. You know, right. uh, Jordan Levitt is a is a really tough guy, uh, and mm, th- this one's tough, man. This one's really tough. Uh, as much as as much as I, as many questions as I have about Patty Pimblett, I'm gonna roll with him here just because uh, fighting in London, the crowd being on his side, I feel like just like with Mibal Mali, I feel like it gives him an extra something uh, that he's gonna be able to use. Uh, but this isn't going to be easy, easy by any stretch of the imagination. If uh, Jordan Levitt lands something uh, or uh, puts him in a bad position, I think that uh, Jordan will finish the fight, even though Patty's never been finished. I think Jordan is is dangerous enough to where uh, he could finish this, but uh, I like uh, Patty Pimblett. Uh, I think you know the crowd's gonna give him that extra something, and he'll probably. Um, I don't. I don't think it'll be a finish. I think it'll. I think he'll edge out a decision. The odds here are crazy, right? Minus two sixty. That oh, seems yeah. crazy yeah, to me. I, like I yeah, think this is a legit fight for him, which he's not yeah. really had to this point. 
Um, you know, Jordan Levitt's ground game is probably better than Patty Pimblett's, if, if I had to guess, and maybe that will be proved wrong. But, um, you know, we're going to have to see a well-rounded version of Patty Pimblett here. And, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see this being a finish necessarily. I feel like I'm, I'm picking Patty to win by decision, but, you know, the gas tank and all the weight he has to cut uh, comes into play with this if, if this is a grinder type of fight and Jordan Levitt's, um, you know, winning some of these, these uh, exchanges, especially if it goes to the ground and, you know, how much that drains Patty Pimblett's gas tank. I do think being in front of that London crowd, like, he's a performer, right? Like, he's a good fighter, but he's a performer more than he's a fighter. I think that will probably put him over the top in my mind. But, uh, man, talk about the hype train coming to an end. If, if it's Jordan Levitt doing the splits in the <laughs> middle of the octagon in London while beating Patty Pimblett, I mean, that, the, the train is derailed at that point, right? Oh, yeah, the train is derailed. Uh, and he, he's also talked about twerking yeah. uh, if he beats Patty yeah. Pimblett. So uh, doing the splits, twerking, uh, if, if that's what we see at the end of this fight, like, yeah, the hype train is definitely derailed. If, you know, for this to happen uh, in London and everything, like, Patty looks like a superstar uh, when he fights in front of the, the, the London crowd. So if this fight uh, doesn't end with Patty on top, man, um, yeah, I think it's over. All right, co-main event in the middleweight division, Jack Hermanson and Chris Curtis. This was originally supposed to be Jack Hermanson and Darren Till. Uh, Till is, uh, I think he sustained another injury, right? Uh, so Chris Curtis yeah. is stepping in on short notice following his victory over, was it uh, Hadolfo Vieira recently? Yes. Uh, Chris Curtis, Jack Hermanson in your co-main event. Jack Hermanson, check out these odds. Minus 120 for Hermanson, minus 110 for Chris Curtis. Yeah, man. I think. Um, I mean, we've seen this story. We've seen this happen before. Chris Curtis comes in on on short notice. Like, we can't think like, oh, okay, like he's gonna come in here and this is just gonna be an easy win for Jack or Manson. Like, we've seen this enough from Chris, from Chris Curtis against guys against Phil Hawes, who's who's super dangerous. Brendan Allen, who's super dangerous, and then he he rebounds that with um, with the win over Adolfo Vieira. And all those fights are different fights. One, Phil Hawes is a powerhouse. Uh, Brendan Allen is a is a technical guy, uh, and uh, Hadolfo Vieira is going to be a guy who likes to grapple, who wants to wrap you up in submissions. And Chris Curtis has won all those. Um, I think uh, where this is different is Jack Hermanson's experience, and the different the different ways that Jack Hermanson can get this done. I mean, I I know the the route to victory for him is going to be uh, grappling, but I mean Jack Hermanson's been in some wars with uh, with uh, Tory and with Strickland. So um, he's not going to shy away from it if it comes down to that is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So um, I've been a little torn on this, but, you know, I, I like what I've seen from Chris Curtis. I like the story uh, coming in from PFL and, you know, the whole story about him eating chicken and waffles and, and coming back out to fight someone after he lost. Like, I like that whole story. Um, what he's done in the UFC has been outstanding. It's been remarkable. Um I'm I'm gonna go Chris Curtis here, man. I think that he'll uh, I think he'll he'll get a knockout. And Jack Hermanson, when he's fought uh, big power punches before, like a Jared Cannonier has fallen victim. So I'm gonna go Chris Curtis. I totally thought you were taking Jack Hermanson in this fight. Uh, I'm going Chris Curtis as well, and I was not torn at all on this fight. Like I like Chris Curtis a lot in this matchup. Um, number one, the takedown defense that we saw against Adolfo Vieira was spectacular, right? Like, that is Hermanson's path. Hermanson's a one-trick pony on the feet, right? It's throw that giant looping overhand right 
and that kind of sets up for him to try and get a takedown, hopefully, and, and that's where he's going to win. He's not winning this fight if he's not getting takedowns, and Chris Curtis's takedown defense is fantastic. And if, if it is on the feet, like, to your point, this is a knockout. Chris Curtis is going to finish this guy if this is on the feet for, a, I think, a decent amount of time. I, although I will, Jack Hermanson's tough as nails. Uh, but yeah. eventually, I feel like you can only take so much, and there's a. I feel like there's a pretty lopsided advantage in terms of the stand-up here in favor of Chris Curtis. But I would probably have been pretty torn on this fight before the Vieira fight for Chris Curtis. But seeing how calm he was in those those takedown situations and how uh, easily he seemed to defend the takedown, I, I I feel really good about this. If if he gets taken down a bunch in this, I'll be surprised because that's the path for Jack Hermanson, right? So. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I mean, Jack Hermanson isn't a guy that is just going to like, he doesn't have so much offensive firepower in the standup that like it opens the door for easy takedowns. Like he has to really work for his takedown opportunities anyway. And Chris Curtis, I, you know, was very impressive in that regard. So Chris Curtis for me with a statement win in the middleweight division and he gets this win. Look out. I mean, we're, we're uh, going to have some really fun conversations about Chris Curtis going forward. All right. Our main event in the heavyweight division I love this fight too. Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall. From a ranking standpoint, this is what number four and number six in the current UFC heavyweight rankings. You would anticipate this has giant heavyweight championship implications if that division ever moves on at some point in time. <laughs> Tom Aspinall is your favorite at minus one thirty. Curtis Blades plus one hundred. Very close fight in the odds as well. Yeah, man. Uh, this one, this one was actually tougher than I thought it would be for me to pick because uh, for as great as Tom Aspinall is, for uh, all the potential that he has, I mean, we've seen it all from Tom Aspinall—the power in his hands, the grappling, the speed. I mean, the submissions. I mean, it seems like Tom Aspinall has it all. But Curtis Blaze, for for the criticism that he gets for not being uh, exciting, like no one has. There hasn't been a guy that's gone out there and proven that they're better than Curtis Blades. Like, his only losses are, have been to the two best knockout guys in heavyweight history, or in UFC history, Francis Ngannou twice and Derek Lewis. I mean, there is no shame in getting knocked out by those guys at all. But outside of that, nobody has uh, proven, like, that they're better than Curtis Blades. No one has beaten him over five rounds. Over, no one has beaten him over three rounds. And then in his last fight against Dawkins, he gets a knockout. So Curtis Blades is adding layers to his game. So that so that made this fight really tough for me to pick. So we're, we're going to learn a lot about Tom Aspinall because I feel like we know an, enough about Curtis Blades. Like, he's ultra tough. Uh, he, his wrestling is probably the best in the heavyweight division. Uh, he's adding power to his hands. So... I'm not going to say he's adding power to his hands because he's probably always had it, but he's more putting an emphasis on using it, right? Yeah. He's putting, yeah. yeah putting an emphasis on using it uh, for sure. Uh, so man, um, I mean, as much as I would love to pick uh, Curtis blades here uh, at, for, for a shocker, uh, I'm going to go with, with Aspinall because I really, really like where he's headed, like the trajectory in terms of a heavyweight, we we haven't seen someone like Tom Aspinall before, someone who really puts it all together, who re- literally has everything that you would want. Striking, like I said, you know, striking, submission, speed. I mean, the speed is something that's that's like crazy. Like he's actually really fast to be that size. Uh, 
And then like he he's like he had like a bit of a of a pudge when he first got into the UFC. That's why I called him Frank Mir for a long time because he had a little pudge just like Frank Mir kind of looks like him. On but now Island. like when you see him, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like now when you see him though, I mean he kind of looks like he's you know getting that under control. His body looks a lot better. So I I, I don't know, man. I mean I liked how Masvidal all here. I think he I think the crowd. Um, yeah, give me give me Tom Aspinall. Shocked, totally shocked. I I would have bet money <laughs> that you were gonna pick Curtis Blades in this fight. Would have bet money, and I would have lost. This is Tom Aspinall I, for me look, as well, man. It's Tom Aspinall. I I uh, like I was I like this fight. By the way, I'm not trying to like it. I I'm easily picking Tom Aspinall here, but I think this is a great fight. I think it's gonna be a close fight, but. Yeah. Tom Aspinall's speed and footwork and just combination of everything, right? Like Curtis yeah. Blades is the best wrestler in this division, but I don't, I, I don't know that I feel like this is going to go to the mat much, if at all. Like Tom Aspinall's that gifted, I think, athletically, and everything he's done has been so easy. Like, he, like guys try to to take him down, guys try to destroy, like everything has just been so easy. This will be a massive step up in competition. I mean, Volkov yeah. by a mile was the best thing Aspinall had seen. Uh, so this is exactly, a yeah. massive step up in competition. But, you know, Blade's got that knockout on Chris Dacus. In terms of, like, yeah. speed, Tom Aspinall's light years faster than Chris Dacus, right? Like, I don't anticipate that he's going to be out there for a punch like that to land. And then secondly, like, you know, I, I think you might get to the situation, like, you had where Curtis Blades was just going in on Derek Lewis because uh, he wanted to get the takedown so bad. Because I don't think Curtis Lewis or Curtis Blades is going to have that type of stand-up success against Aspinall. Uh, he might have to force the takedown, and that's when you might see some big Aspinall moments. If I had to bet on this, I'd probably say this is an Aspinall decision win. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him land some big shots because Curtis is trying to force the takedown because he's not having any success in the stand-up. But I thought for the third week in a row, for sure, we were going to be on the opposite side of main events. Man, you know, I, I did think about it, uh, but, you know, we've never seen anything like Tom Aspinall in the heavyweight division. Like you said, that speed, that footwork. I mean, the only person who can really rival that is Cyril Gaon, yeah. but, like, Tom Aspinall also has wrestling. Like, he also has submissions. Like, this this guy literally uh, has everything that you would want. Like, if you could if you could build a heavyweight on a video game, I feel like you would build a Tom Aspinall. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, Curtis Blades... For as good as he is, man, I just don't feel like he's seen anything like a Tom Aspinall who can put it all together. So, I mean, but, you know, I wouldn't put it past past this to happen. Like, Curtis Blades dominating with his wrestling. Yeah. I mean, just surprising us with his – because he's – his size. Like, Curtis Blades is, is 260 pounds, six foot four. I mean, he's a thick dude. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the power of Curtis Blades shines through here. But, I mean – like you said, I think it's going to be really tough for Blades to get it down. But, you know, we might be wrong. Listen, so if he we'll gets see. it down, he's like, I fully anticipate that he's going to dominate Aspinall on the ground if he gets on top of him and gets him on the ground. But getting yeah. it there to me is the problem. And maybe he does get it there once or twice, right? But uh, to win a fight, I, I don't know that I feel like he's going to finish it there. He just may win rounds that way. I just don't know that I feel like he's going to have enough of those opportunities because, you know, I feel like. Aspinall's striking is good enough. His quickness and everything else, like I, I just, I don't feel like there are going to be a lot of opportunities. Maybe we're, you know, like I, I do feel like there is a legit chance that we're completely wrong because this is a massive right. step up in competition, uh, and and in terms of physicality, right? Like 
when Curtis Blades gets his hands on him, this is a different animal than anything Aspinall's seen. So, like, we could all be very shocked in the ease in which Curtis Blades, like, manhandles him if, you know, this becomes close quarters and it's on the ground or things of that nature. But I'm, I'm betting more on, I think, just the athleticism and quickness of Aspinall not allowing Blades to consistently do that and, and Aspinall, the rest, takes care of it because he's so well-rounded. So... This is a fun fight, though, man. There's a there's a bunch of fun fights on this card, and this main event absolutely is is one. A lot like last week, where um, I I could see it going either way for sure. But uh, e whichever way it goes, it's going to lead to somebody potentially having a championship opportunity. Oh yeah, you know, Curtis Blade just had a tough go, like because like he's always been right there, and then like he always loses that fight to get him to the title shot. And I think this is that fight for him. Like if he wins this. I don't really feel like there's any other way to go. Like you might can give him one more because like there's like a log jam of guys yeah. who are up there, but um, he could just be like, just give me the interim title fight. I've earned it, you know, but I don't know. This division needs to move. I mean, you know, you Francis is your champion who's hurt. You know, you still got John and Stipe who, who are supposedly supposed to be fighting for the interim title. But like, you know, we're getting to the point where these events are going by and like, we're getting to the November and the December's, where we don't have any events and like we're getting close to Francis returning. So like John and Steve need to come on if they're going to fight yeah. because Francis is going to come back and then one of them is going to get screwed again. Well, so, you've got this winner and then Tai Tuivasa and Cyril Gaon are fighting in what? September, I think. Yeah. September. Yeah. And the winner of that's going to have a lot of championship momentum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I don't know what John and Stipe are doing because they're they're easily you know their legacy says that they're the you know the guys that are supposed to be fighting for the title but uh, we're getting to a point where these younger guys are going to yeah. pass them up because they're they're always ready to fight so we'll see. I am a I am a giant fan of Tai Tuivasa but in terms of like this division and a number one contender fight the fight for me again well maybe Saturday night I'm wrong but Aspinall gone to me is the fight. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a fight that I feel like should be for the title, but like, you know, Francis is a yeah. is another breed. Yeah. So like, we're gonna have to see that fight before the, a, a title's involved, probably. But yeah, I, those are the two best guys in the heavyweight division outside of the champion for me. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, those are the two number one contenders. All right, buddy, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, yeah, definitely covered a lot of ground. So much happened. I, I mean, normally when we take a week off, you know, there's not too much that happens, right. but you know, this time. Every damn thing happened. Yeah, they 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 picked up the rug and shook it, and yeah, everything changed. Um, good luck with the baby shower on Saturday, man. I'll be thinking about you when I am posted up, crushing bacon wrapped jalapenos, enjoying a London fight card, because you know that it's just going to be incredible energy from start to finish. Yeah, I, I can see it right. I can see it now. You're going to have your bacon wrapped jalapenos. You're going to have your breakfast burritos. You know, going to have your chips and everything just ready. I'm going to be jealous, yeah. but some, somehow, some way, I feel like I'm going to get out of this. I feel like I have to have like tea and crumpets or something, right? Because it's in London at some point, so. <laughs> right. Fish and chips. <laughs> I, maybe, you know, I feel like I might be able to just, you know, make a brief appearance and kind of sneak out of there before like the games and stuff start. I feel like I might be able to get out of there before the main yeah. card starts. That's going to be my, that's going to be my goal. Uh, oh, and then I also have a fantasy football draft that I'm supposed to be doing uh, while I'm at the baby shower. Okay, so. hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> we can't leave yet. You have a fantasy football draft in the month of July? 
Bro, yeah. get out uh, of this I, league. I, get <laughs> out of this league. Who the fuck has a fantasy football draft in July? Half your players are going to get hurt in training camp, man. What are we doing? Um, all right, so I've been in this league for years. <laughs> like, this was, this was my first football fantasy football league I ever got in, and it kind of got me hooked. Yeah. So, uh, and they always had the drafts at the end of July. I, I ne- I've never understood it, but yeah, this is a, a, a keeper league, and like we have, you know, uh, yeah. offense, but we also have like an IDP uh, linebackers, defensive tackles, okay. defensive ends. Yeah. And this is and this is also a, a dynasty league. So, uh, I've won this. I've won this league five times, and I've just I just won last year. So I'm 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 retaining a lot of my guys, and I'm only making like three three or four picks so okay it'll be it'll it'll be quick but yeah i also have a fan okay when you said keeper league that at least makes more sense than like the the like every year reshuffle of the entire deck and you're choosing players in july and yeah there's still so much that that's going to happen that changes the landscape mine is a reset every year league and we literally have it on the tuesday night after the third week of the preseason games because you know nobody plays the fourth week of preseason so it's the tuesday night after the third week of preseason games has ended that's our draft every year that Tuesday night. And then, you know, you're safe unless somebody like trips over a curb, right? You're safe going into week number one. So. Right, right. Okay. So I also wanted to say, since we're on the subject of fantasy football, I know last year uh, I didn't get in your league, but if there is an available spot in your league this year, okay. I am in. All right. If there's, a, if there's an available spot, I know, you know, it probably fills up quick, but if there's an available spot, I'm in. I have no idea if there is because it's July. Who the hell's thinking about fantasy football in July? But when that time rolls around, Will, I will definitely, I will definitely let you know, man. So yeah, a m- month or so down the road, we'll we'll start having those conversations. Oh man, that's great. Okay, I got you. Man. Uh, so good. All right, brother. Great stuff. Um, I will be, uh, I'll be texting you on Saturday, hoping you're enjoying the baby shower. And uh, oh. I, I think we're uh, same across the board this time, right? So no points up for grabs. I mean, unless you want to, you know, go ahead and change, you know, you got, I mean, you got a little bit of time. I mean, do you want, is there any picks you want to change? Listen, I thought I was going to be, I thought we, I, I, I'm dead serious. I thought we were going to be on the opposite side of both the main event and co-main event. I was sure you were going to go Hermanson and Blades. I was like, totally sure. (laughs) What do I know? Do I want to change it? Nah, I'm good. All right, man. All right, buddy. Have fun. Podcast is over.